everybody, and welcome once again to that annual celebration that Game Apocalypse goes through at the end of every year so we don't have to record a show during the week of Christmas when we're all off and burrowed somewhere warm in front of a fire, probably, that we may or may not have started from someone else's house. I'm your host, Michael Raparez. Who else is joining me here in the mystical, magical Christmas cheer studio of the airwaves? Christopher Goaty Goat host. Um, (laughs) And the winner for best co-host who records in the same room as Michael every week, Matthew Allen. What? What? So, yes, this is this is going to be an explodaganza of a show. We do this every year now for some reason where we invite a panel of other people who've been guests on the show previously this year to come back in and help us talk about our and their favorite games of the year for 2019. And as as we always try to point out, we're not a game site. We don't try to be definitive. We're not trying to figure out like what are the most important games of the year what are the ones that most people liked what are the highest rated ones this is just about like these are the games that we played that we loved the most this year and i, I think i think we're going to miss though, stuff. to say like we we take those lists and we definitely make sure we play Yes. The games other people are talking about to help inform us for yeah, our list. And we're, but... we're not just like completely ignorant. Some, some of these like, <laughs> well, I didn't have time to play, for example, Darksiders Genesis before we started in on this. There are a couple that are glaring blind spots for me and I think for everybody else. And maybe I'll play some of them and be like, shit, we should have done that. But that's the way that these things go. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. And we should talk about like, so yeah, this list is, this is a reflection of our tastes mm-hmm. as the host yeah. as well as the tastes of several guests that will be joining us yeah, for the next few yeah. hours. Yeah. Game so we, awards. We've, we put together a big doc and we, we voted and we invited a few guests to vote and uh, we took all of that and we threw it out and just picked the ones that we liked. Uh, yes. <laughs> absolutely. It's been an amazing year for games. Like, you know, it, when we started putting this stuff together i was like yeah there just hasn't been that much this year that's impressed me but the more that i dug into it the more i realized like no no there's been there's been a lot of really great stuff we're kind of seeing the current console generation beginning to wind down so the big blockbusters aren't coming quite as uh, hot and heavy as they used to but we've still got some really huge games that came out this year some of which we'll be talking about we've had a lot of really impressive indie games uh again mm-hmm. a couple of which we'll be talking about here but yeah yeah i i would say i'd say in, in maybe in recent years past we might have had maybe the highs aren't as high this year as some of those recent years right but i would say in terms of consistency and number of games that kind of made our radar and qualified for a list like this mm-hmm. like they're there have maybe been more like it's 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 you know what I'm saying, right? There's there, there's more there's more great games this year, but there's very few that I can point to is and saying like, that's the one that is the 10 from this year. Something like that, you know? Yeah, but there's a lot of quality to celebrate, to be sure. A lot. You know what? Let's let's stop pontificating and explaining and equivocating and just jump in with Madden. Two th- <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> is that not it? <laughs> well, also with... <laughs> Number 10. (laughs) 
All right. What what game is this? Untitled uh, Christopher Antista. Wait, I forgot what we were doing. Yes, it is Untitled Christopher <laughs> Antista Project. <laughs> oh, then it would have had a title. At that yeah. point. <laughs> Who is joining us for this segment? First in the studio, it's... It's Leif Johnson. And joining us remotely, it's... It's me, George. George. George of Experience Points Podcast and Leif of mm-hmm. Macworld. Yes. com. Thank you both for joining us to talk about Untitled Goose Game, which somehow managed to sneak its way onto our Best Games of the Year list. Matt's staring daggers somehow. at me. <laughs> you played foul with the list on this Ooh, one. It's like, definitely oh. one of the most notable games of the year. It is, it yes. is. It, 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 in, in a good way, because this yeah. is like the furthest thing from my favorite game of the year, but it, <laughs> it, 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 it did lead to one of my favorite game experiences of the year. I think I, it's one of the most finely crafted games of the year. Yes. I downloaded this before a flight, and I showed my dad, who, if you've been listening to these shows forever, traditionally hates games, and he was fascinated. He instantly understood every single thing about it and thought it was hysterical. And then my whole family came over to my house and he's like, show him the goose game. So I was playing the goose game in front of my whole family who were giving me tips like, no, 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 try and try knocking over the wheelbarrow. And like, and I haven't really had like that kind of co-op experience. And it's like two girlfriends ago in the original portal. Like maybe if you tried that and that and that, but it was my whole family who we've never played games together. And so it, everybody was charmed. Hmm. Even the people weren't playing. It's true. Like this, this game for some reason resonates with anyone who sees it. Like you can have non-gamers, gamers, anyone. But I think one of the reasons it's like people who don't normally play games really love this game is the controls are so simple. It is literally hmm. here is the stick to move around. Here is your honk button, and here is your flap your wings button, which may or may not do something. It really just depends. Yeah. And even though they're so simple, the, the characters that you see in there, I mean, the, the goose itself is wonderfully animated. It, it, the the yeah. flapping of the yeah, wings, the it's, it's very on point. But the people, too, it, it's they really capture, you know, you don't really hear them talk or anything like that, but they really capture the mood, the feeling. You get their annoyance, especially that poor boy that gets his oh, glasses stolen. <laughs> <laughs> the, the art style, I will say, of the people is oddly reminiscent to me of one of my other favorite games of the year, which is what the golf yes yeah, you're totally yeah, right you have that over, yeah. overly simplified but almost like deconstructed like just shapes are making up their face like their nose and stuff like that whereas the goose itself looks pretty good it's yeah. like a cartoon yeah. goose yeah but like i remember watching this game kind of take shape on twitter like i think whoever is in charge of house house the developer was posted posting about it and it's just like yeah we make, we're making this game where you play as a terrible goose we don't know what we're going to call it and like they just somehow stuck with Untitled Goose Game like until release, I, I kind of have to applaud that because like yes. that's how it got known. It's just like it's Untitled Goose Game, and that works with the absurdity of, yes. of the whole thing. Yes, and, absurdity is a good way. Yeah, to put and it, it yeah it is again a, a beautifully crafted game. Not only are you messing with these AI people in different and creative ways. But as we've pointed out in the past, the soundtrack kind of, it's, it's like a silent movie. Yeah. It, it only plays to complement the action on screen. So when it senses you're about to do something mischievous, you kind of get that piano it's, building. It's like freeform jazzy. The way I describe it is like, you know the piano that happens in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood when the trolley is going to the yes. land of make-believe? Yeah, 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 like yeah, that's yeah, the soundtrack yeah, to the Goose Game. Isn't mm-hmm. a lot of it was Right. Uh, Claude Debussy? Isn't that a lot of the music? Yes. Maybe. Yeah. Sounds, sounds I think like a lot of it is, actually, yeah. Is that anything like Gary it, Debussy? Yes. yes. <laughs> Gary Debussy, the famous yeah. piano right. composer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I really enjoyed just being this 
pure blank slate of malevolence creeping through this quaint English village and tormenting the inhabitants. At one point, actually entering into a house and then quickly exiting. Goose in a house is a very it's bad like, idea. It's so dumb. <laughs> yeah. It's so well, dumb. I, I love that all of the aesthetics are so welcoming, but pretty quickly, like, you can get that this is actually a very real puzzle game. Like, that yes. actually takes some yes. skill. It's respectful of you as a player. There's yes. a lot of thought that goes into the design of the stealth missions. I think... I would be curious to know, uh, Chris, how your family would feel if they did have control over telling you what to do. Because my guess is a lot of people got frustrated after being welcomed in by the goose. But I think for most people who are familiar with games, this is like up there with some really great stealth games, stealth puzzles. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my my one issue with or one of my main issues with the game, it, it did have to do with the puzzles. I am kind of a completionist where... If you're going to give me a checklist of things to do, I want to cross off every single one of those things. Uh-huh. And and the game, sure. it lets you move on from area to area without solving every puzzle in the area. But one of the issues I had is that a lot of the puzzles were overly simplistic or obvious. It was like, okay, this is exactly what I need to do. And then every once in a while, there's just like one really cryptic puzzle. You're like, what the fuck? And you're just trying things. And right. it does get frustrating. Like, it's like, how does how this can... motherfucker put on his fucking sun hat? Yes, yes. Hat. yes the, the sun hat, hat is the famous <laughs> example of that. Where it's like, and I'm like, okay, I get it. It can't all be perfect and, and, and balance like that. But it did feel like it's like, well, you know, what good puzzle games do is they do start very easy and they ramp up that difficulty. And then you're kind of learning on based on other things you've done in the past. And this game has a little bit of that, but then occasionally it's just like, there are these like blocker puzzles. You're like, what the fuck? You know? Well, I mean, to push back on that though, I think the game wants you to do trial and error. Oh yeah. Where you surprise yourself that the goose can do some of these things, you know, like when you actually put the hat on or you, you realize you can stealth by the guy reading the newspaper and bite his foot and cause him to do, you know, it creates a Rube Goldberg device that you stumble upon. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of joy in just accidentally figuring out the solution. Yes. I, but I think part of my frustration arises from the fact that it does, it surprises you with how much it can do. Yeah. But then sometimes when you think, oh, well, yeah. I must be able to do this. It's not programmed to do that. And the game doesn't respond accordingly. And it's like, oh, mm. okay. But, but it definitely, yeah, right. it has those, you know, those like, there's those YouTube series of like, can you actually do this in GTA? Like this mm. game, has a lot of those moments like oh you can actually get the goose to do this and these yeah. people will respond but i mean you know there's no real fail state like the these people will never get yeah. fed up with you and kill you yes so uh <laughs> you're you're free to wreak as much havoc as you want no. and and I'm, no I'm, that's why they said it in england i must have gotten yes. a baby yeah. no no <laughs> social do, this is not in texas <laughs> no social rules apply you don't have to worry about upsetting these people that's what you're there for like and and uh, yeah, just going going through and at worst they'll reset the board. Yeah, like, yeah, they'll yeah. they'll shoo you out of their garden or whatever. In an earlier podcast, we talked about the trickster god thing kind of come to life, yes, and so many yes. of those are animals. You have Loki and Nancy and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but the, yeah. one of the most just ooh things that happens in there is uh, yeah, he he takes a kid's little toy airplane, mm-hmm. and this is one of those 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 puzzles that's not quite hard to figure out, but it, it takes some thinking. But you have to take his toy airplane away from him. You make the poor kid buy the plane again. And uh, yeah. that, that's 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 so sad. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. But one of the things I like about this, it's it's kind of like one of those children's books brought to life. Uh, mm-hmm. Where it's like, you know, Duck's Crazy Day Out or something yeah. like that. And, uh, <laughs> well, like a really mean, it's like a Shel Silverstein children. It's, yes. it's got like an edge to it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, this game is... 
I think one of the reasons people respond so well, this game is it's it's at its funniest when it's at its meanest. Yeah. Like when when the goose is tormenting that poor child, like <laughs> yes. that's kind of the, some of the most fun you're gonna have in that game. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've all been tormented by a goose at some point in our lives, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Well, Not yeah. Michael. I mean, you know, I've, I've had run-ins with them when I was a child. I'm still proposing the I'm, Patreon exclusive reward of Michael fighting a goose. I'm much bigger now. I'm sure I could force my hugs on. How many geese do you think you how could take? How many geese do you think you could take? In a fight. Yeah, yeah. how many? At once. Hmm, am I allowed to kick them? Uh, sure. The one whole-sized goose. <laughs> I mean, Hypothetically, animal services, please don't respond to none us. None, because I would never do that to a goose. Uh, oh, if man. Cody Laveau has put away his knife. <laughs> two? I, I think I, two, I would George? just do two geese. Yeah. I could probably Honestly, take like one they, at that point they can flank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I too am a two goose man. Mm-hmm. I'm a yeah. <laughs> a two goose man. The men don't know, but two the ladies man. understand. <laughs> you guys all know that famous two, door two song. Anthony Edwards. <laughs> it's, it's two goose. But yes, uh, getting into spoiler territory a little bit, the goose is monomaniacal despite its many horrific deeds. Uh, It's all leading up to an act that brings the game full circle. And if Mm -hmm. you might, you notice at the beginning of the game, the goose is just standing in front of a pit. It's inexplicable. But the pit is full of bells. I mean, it's right from the beginning. Yeah, yeah but, but spoilers, the significance of the bells is yes. a bit of a spoiler. So if you don't want to hear the significance, skip ahead a little bit, maybe a few minutes. All of this, all the mischief that the goose is causing is leading up to a visit to the model of the village, which surprisingly has no tourists whatsoever. I'm guessing this is the off-season. But you're trying to find your way to a model of the church that has a model of its beautiful, shiny bell and you at that point realize like this is probably what this goose does every day it just waddles its way to the model of the town and completely fucking tears the church apart It's the worst sound in the world. Combined, yes. You know, just tearing the church, I really felt it was such a beautiful metaphor for metaphor for tearing down the patriarchy of of, of the church as an organization. No, it's a dumb. It's with these Scandinavians and tearing down churches. These geese, man. Yeah. I don't know. I'm getting hungry talking about geese. I feel Mm. like Christmas and goose. <laughs> but yeah, we. I love this game. At least I had I had a ton of fun with it. Matt, yeah. not so but, much. Okay, so Chris enjoyed I, the spirit. I can. I enjoyed the spirit. So that's too, the thing. Right? The reason that I, I wasn't like, no, Michael, this can't make our list. Is I totally can see how people can appreciate this game, mm-hmm. uh, and I could see the charm when I showed it to my family members who don't normally play games. They all were were like, I want to control the goose. I want to mm-hmm. be the goose. So I totally can understand. I can see how it's charming. Uh, it's just not necessarily a game that I personally would have put on my top ten, but I totally love your guys' appreciation for the game and can see what it's doing, and I can fully appreciate what they're doing. And like George was saying, right. some of the stuff is it's very finely crafted game, especially that music. Yep. That music is really good. See, this is one of the I, I voted for it because I don't think I don't think anything else penetrated the zeitgeist game wise the way this 
little tiny indie. That's what indie. I was yeah. getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for yeah. sure. Because at the beginning of the show, I said that you know, best game. You know, maybe you can argue about that, but it, it was certainly one of the. It, it's if you look back in like 2019 in games, that you have to mention mm-hmm. this. You just do. You know what this yeah. game is? It's the Nordic version of Goat Simulator. Yeah, it's more it's finely a, crafted. It's what, more European. Why is it Nordic? It's Australian. Yeah. It's oh, Australian. I thought it was. Oh, I thought yeah, it was Australian. Yeah, Australian. Scandinavian. Uh, I was wondering that reference earlier too. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of got bad. more of that. I kind of got more of that vibe. Like, I maybe even a French vibe. England into it mm. or something. It's, okay. <laughs> 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 My metaphor still holds, man. Sure, it's the yeah, less sure, crass yes. version of a goat simulator. And I was actually thinking about bringing up goat singular, uh, simulator when you were talking about the titles. You know, just, yeah, just huh. Untitled Goose Game and Goat Simulator, very just in your face. This well, is, both became uh, meme yeah. games, right? It was like, hey, but oh, the, yeah. but yeah, but the difference though is. A goose game holds up to actual gameplay, whereas yes. it's you know it's not fumblecore. This isn't like Octodad. Like it, it actually takes. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't heard that before. I haven't heard that before. I I was gonna make a shitty comparison to like a Goat Simulator was like like Tony Hawk with no timer, hmm. and sure. it is. It's just like yeah. it's just about gaps in time and like uh, uh, combos and what things you touch. Whereas this there there is a linear. Gameplay design. It's a, a puzzle. puzzle. Yep. Yeah, yes. definitely a puzzle. Yeah, yeah. I actually think it's a Hitman with a goose is yes. the best. Yes. Hitman yes. with a yeah. goose. That's a good, good way to, it. Way to look yes. at it. I feel like you could kill someone with a goose in a Hitman game recently. Like mm. that has to be a thing, right? I, it has to be. If if only for the yeah. reference. Yeah, they tried with Fabio, man. They couldn't take him yeah, down. Yeah. Well, if that fucking briefcase is to be believed, that thing that follows you around, <laughs> the homing briefcase. I remember that. I remember that. Oh, that was so beautiful. Did you see that somebody posted a video of like throwing it at someone as they're leaving on a jet ski, yes. and it just like follows them yes. through the water like for a solid minute, and they stop the jet ski and get off of the shore, and it hits them, and they die. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> But yeah, the Untitled Goose Game. It's a game everyone should play. It takes a couple of hours, and it's a lot of fun, I think. Even if you don't find the gameplay that fun, the chaos certainly is. It's on Game Pass. Yes, it is on Game Pass as of now. Mm. Anyway, let's move on to... Number 9. All Spacer's Choice weapons are now 30% less likely to malfunction. You've tried the best, now try the rest. Spacer's Choice. Yes, nailed at that time. What is this game? <laughs> this is The Outer Worlds, and that was the nervous uh, moon salesman from the space station selling Spacer's uh, Choice products. Oh, no, actually, this is the wounded security officer oh, you meet okay. very early on in the game okay. who's uh, he's got a bullet in him, but he's still spouting corporate oh, slogans. Oh, that guy, that yeah. guy, yeah. Yeah, the moon salesman's just as nervous because he really wants to improve his performance. At Spacer's Choice, we care about your health and emotional well-being. That's why we put Martin through six years of vendor school, only to make him wear this hat. I think, uh, I think it's part of me now. <laughs> now, are you ready to make Spacer's Choice Lunar Green Moon Mouth Lozenges a part of you? Lunar Green, the future is Spearmint. He's just stuck in a like, moon a moon shaped helmet. Yes, and if you if you find some logs in the station later on, you you hear his whole backstory. It's great. Ooh, why did Callahan. why did he sound like why did he sound like David Putty for some reason? I, I thought he sounded a little bit like Patrick Warburton. But who's joining us for this segment? Hi, I'm T. L. Foster from Cheap Podcast and also PMB. And I'm Kayla Zumbom. I am also from PMB and other assorted 
podcasts of that network. <laughs> Why do you sound like you're selling a spacer's choice? Relax, it's fine. <laughs> and Chris is taking a powder for this segment because he hasn't played Outer Worlds. Not to be confused with Outer Wilds. I apologize in advance if I mix these up at any point. It's happened once already. <laughs> I've been doing it all year. I feel like we all have. We, we're, yeah, it's yeah. it's the GameStop GameSpot of this generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Outer Worlds, Outer Wilds. These games are like two letters apart. Can you can you not coordinate your Xbox Game Pass games a little better? <laughs> but they're one is vastly the, different. Yeah, I know. yeah. One yeah. is the Outer Worlds, and the other one is Outer Wilds. That's true. That's true. One is about being an alien with a fledgling space program, and this is about being a human in a capitalistic hell monstrosity future that seems heavily inspired by turn-of-the-century ideas about space travel, where we're all going to go into space in these big art deco ships. Everything about it kind of feels like the early 1900s, like the way capitalism is working. Back in the 1900s, if you were a miner, you lived in a mining town. You were pretty much owned by the mining company. Your family could be kicked off the mining thing if you were killed, like... Everything really feels like it's from, like, the 1900s. Also, it feels like it does the right thing from Bioshock, which is the aesthetics. It's a little bit Bioshock. It's a little bit Fallout, with where whereas the Fallout games are more trapped maybe in the 50s or 60s. Like, this one, yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. just different enough to be distinct, but it definitely has a little bit of that flavor. I do like – that's a great point, though. I hadn't really thought of, like, the turn of the century when it comes to, like, yeah, you are a corporate man. Yeah. It's – which basically – Well, you uh, are. You're, you're an outsider who's on a colony ship that is stranded, and you're rescued the by hope. a mad scientist right. slash terrorist. Hundreds of thousands of colonists left to drift out here forever. Just to keep from damaging the board's bottom line. Disgraceful. Yeah. Well, but I think it's implied all of the colonists, though, you're pretty much indentured servants to these mm-hmm. corporations because they, they footed the bill right. to get you out there in space. Yeah. It, but yeah, but it's so generations two... of indentured servants. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. you're 70 years lost mm-hmm. opening yeah. the game. And what's really funny is when you pick your class, it's by, like, the lowest thing ever, like... Farmer, dirt, uh, <laughs> a cashier, and then everybody's like, "You're the brightest and the best, of the hope." And you're like, "I was just like a cashier, cashier. at a store. A <laughs> like, point. how am I the biggest and brightest? Like, are these is everybody else stupid?" It's true because they, they refer to them as like, "Yeah, there's this is a ship that the hope is a ship full of doctors and scientists, and they're going to solve all our issues." And I totally hadn't hadn't added that up, Kayla. You're right. It's like when you choose your starting class, they are all like. You know, and it's meant to affect things like, oh, your your bartering skill if you're a cashier, you know. But it's you're right; they're they're very much entry level jobs. It reminded me what? of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where spoilers they they find out that like, oh, the the Earth was actually colonized by these human like aliens called the Golgothrensians, who were just like a race of middlemen and telephone sanitizers and basically people who serve no real purpose in society and they crash land on earth and start a civilization yeah so it's it's pretty much like phineas wells who's the the mad scientist like picked up like the bottom barrel because he's like i don't want to fuck with the scientists let me just start start experimenting on like the low end of the totem mm-hmm, pole and mm-hmm. oh you you're alive okay you yes. are our greatest hope here yes, because you, you, you learn like, that he's he's experimented on a few people before you. You're just the first successful yeah. unfreezing. Yeah, well, look, a scientist might not just blindly accept whatever he tells you and, and do his errands <laughs> for him. Good point. Like, Good nah, point. I know better. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end, like, you can also, yeah, this this game, it's, 
it is it's near perfect what? obsidian. Really? Huh. It is near perfect obsidian. Okay. In that okay. Okay. it is Thank almost flawless <laughs> except for one major bug <laughs> that happens toward the end Uh-oh. and crashes straight to main screen. Oh, shit. You're like fuck. Yeah. <laughs> How would you say it compares to Fallout New Vegas? The companions are better written. They mm. like the companions in Fallout New Vegas are are great. They're all different. They have their own stories. But this seems like they actually had time to polish what they had instead of going, I don't know, just throw shit, throw a giant death claw. Like, yeah, just put it right there in the quarry. Yeah, who cares? You know, it's it's more tightly put together. Like, they mm-hmm. were more thoughtful in their See, world. See, I can't tell building. if it's more thoughtful or if they just maybe had smaller budgets because it is a smaller game than Fallout New Vegas. And so I mm-hmm. feel like they, they did less, but they did more with what they, they had. You know, it, it's, it's, you, Kayla's right though. It's less buggy than those other games. It feels more refined in parts, but it just definitely as, as a complete experience to me, at least it, it is a, well, it's a shorter game for sure than, than any Fallout Oh yeah. Game. 25, 30 hours. If yeah. You do yeah. All of them. My first playthrough, I completely forgot a companion. Sure. Sure, but mm-hmm. I, I feel I, it, oh, it was I refreshing. The companion existed. It, uh, which one? What? Which one was that? Ellie. <laughs> oh, I was oh. going to say, what, was it was it Sam? Greetings, customer. This Sam unit is unable to locate your registered information. Would you like to register your Sam? Registering new owner, Captain. Sam units live to clean and clean to live. It reminds me of uh, Crichton from Red Dwarf a little bit. <laughs> well, the the beauty of Sam is is his attacks. They're like acid based because he's supposed mm-hmm. to be this cleaning robot. And so he shoots corrosive stuff all over people. Nice. He's one of two synthetic characters that you have around you quite frequently. The other, of course, is... One is actually around you. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. The other one is Ada, the ship's computer. I am programmed to take orders exclusively from Captain Hawthorne. If I accept your orders, then you must be Captain Hawthorne. Do you understand? Well done, Captain Hawthorne. I see your powers of deductive reasoning remain intact. (laughs) I love that, yeah, Ada is so willing to bend the rules in order to make things just expedite things, if you will. It's it's like, "Eh, you know, I I need a ship captain. Mm -hmm. You'll do. Just tell me you're the ship captain. Okay. It it seems like this is just, like Kayla said earlier, like the natural evolution of of Obsidian. Like, Mm -hmm. because remember, Obsidian worked on Kortor 2, and then they worked on Fallout New Vegas. And then... Even like with some of the writing, which I which is phenomenal, is just hilarious. Like there's like kind of the seeds from the South Park game because like even that bit is like the South Park bit where oh are you douchebag like oh are you Captain Hawthorne like those kind of bits are mm-hmm. kind of the same thing. Yeah. I really I don't so I've tried to play Fallout in in the Bethesda uh, open world games all the time and I usually <laughs> fall off because I something about them just aren't made for me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not smart enough to play them. I played this game and it felt natural and right to me. And I'm not sure if that's just Obsidian or what it was. I thought the the actual like role-playing stuff was really great. Like the character creation was really great. And then the system with the flaws, I just, I really love this game. Yeah. I just mm. love that I, I put so many points into dialogue from the very beginning that like, I can just talk my way through just about any situation as long as it's not like fighting marauders or fighting monsters. I almost never have to pull my gun. 
Yeah, and I do have to thank right. Michael for giving me that tip because I was like, oh, maybe I should just do all verbal skills to try to avoid combat. And you were like, no, there are situations where you, they just force you to yeah, fight. Yeah, there, so, there are yeah, some you enemies. Could, you're going to have to fight in some of them. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Just, you just can't talk to some enemies. And like the marauders yeah. are basically just monsters. Yep. And so what I did there is I just kind of dual specialized. It was it was all, you know, verbal skills on one side and then ranged weaponry on the other. I didn't even mess around with the melee felt really bad when I first tried it. And so I just stuck with the range stuff. And uh, so with one problem I do have with the game, I'd even turned up the difficulty settings, but I min max it or something where it just became so easy or I, I, could, I could get through any combat situation like, you know, within a second or two of a couple shots on someone but that was okay because by then i was just more playing to see how the story resolved itself i didn't need the combat to be compelling it wasn't what was keeping me going but it definitely i don't know i don't know if you'd call it in balance but um but yeah there's definitely a way to kind of min max very easily and become uber powerful and if that's what you're into great you know that this game definitely you can do that in i also wanted to point out since we brought up sam and ada that the game sort of implies that there's something going on between them. I mean, it more than implies. Sam, I must confess, I have not been cleaned for far too long. You're sure this will... Oh, yes. That's the spot exactly. I, I, I... Why, I didn't expect you to be so thorough. I am ashamed to admit. <laughs> oh, Captain, there you are. Pardon, but perhaps you could afford us some privacy, please? Hal, you're the entire ship. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, you know, we were talking about the side companion, and, and we were talking about this is Oblivion's evolution. The, the one thing that I really did notice that I think they did a better job than any of those previous games is in. So there, there's fleshing out the side characters in terms of writing, but just in terms of the ship and like the characters' rooms. Did you guys spend any time in their in their little oh, yeah, private absolutely. chambers? A little bit, yeah. I loved yeah. I loved how much personality they showed. Just and over the course of the game, they would build and there'd be more stuff in their rooms that was more just like, oh, that's who this person is. I got such a great understanding just kind of rolling in their rooms and stealing their shit mm-hmm. when I could, yeah, you know, because why not? Course. But um, they're not going to well, use it. And you even get your own room too. Mm. Yeah, and your room, I love that you collect little mementos of the planet you've been on. Like, oh, that they sign is off this stuff, world. Like, yeah, yeah. They, but I think there's buffs, yeah. And it all depends on what you did in that or who you sided with. Like, the first one, Edgewater. If you side with Edgewater, you get a giant sign. But if you side with Adelaide at the biology lab, like, she gives you a plant. And then, like, it makes the room smell good or something. Mm. Or if you do certain things on Monarch, like, you get... Like lamps and banners, like it kind of like flushes it out for you yourself, and you're like, and you get pretty rocks that are on the top of your bed, and you're like, that's cute. I love that kind of shit. See, I I I got the sign because I did the best of both worlds with that particular questline where I convinced the scientist to come back to Edgewater, but then I talked the current head of Edgewater, the sleazy dude, Mm -hmm. that he he should leave, that he's not doing a great job, and he should just get out of town, and so. It basically put the scientist woman in charge of Edgewater, which which was kind of like, oh, shit, I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, fuck me. I did that because I'm a filthy <laughs> cheater, and I'm like, there has to be a way that, that I can have it both ways here. <laughs> There's oh, got to there be is, a better There's a way, way in Monarch, too. And you're like, oh, yeah. oh that's the best way. Like, yeah. thank you. Yeah. What, what I loved about this game is it's... 
it's a lot it has a lot of firefly dna particularly yeah, the yeah. ship like i, I, I constantly did, wanted to watch firefly after playing this well, game like every session i was like damn it where is i think firefly? what it is, is is you go upstairs and there's that communal area that has like the table and there would always be characters there kind of having a conversation and ada would always tell you like so and so and so and so are having a lively conversation upstairs and you would just go listen in and it it felt like your crew had their own thing going on or when there you were just away be from cows them. in your cargo area for some dumb reason. You're like, well, there's cows in here. Really? You I get that? I know. Yeah, you must have like, done something. It cool. was like, will someone stop doing the fertilizing shipments? Jeez. And there's oh, wow. just like three oh. or four cows sitting in the. Cr- the I wonder what like, you did to uh, to get that. That's cool. Or Nyoka, who's like the drinky Jane character almost, and Parvati are doing. Um, target practice in there too and she's like well what if i accidentally shoot a hole in this ship and well you'd get sucked out (laughs) that's how space works generally yes it's it's funny that you do say yeah that's like the jane character or like pravati is like the kaylee character a little bit you know she's she's kind of mechanic on the ship and even her outfit had some elements you could tell it was it was drawing heavy inspiration but that's okay because firefly is one of my favorite things ever so why not Mm -hmm. yep yeah no this this was a great game um Definitely shorter than the other games, although they did just announce there is story DLC coming next year, so Ooh, that'll be fun yes. to go back to. Ooh, right. Well, because in the map there there are locked out planets and stuff like that. There's yeah. even a there's a video on YouTube of some of the developers watching a 12 minute speed run of someone oh, doing this yeah. game. Holy smokes! It's <laughs> they're just that? like oh. Oh, that's what they're doing. Okay, yeah, that's what I heard about. Okay, well, I thought we fixed that in the thing, and then. They would talk, and then there was a Twitter thread about how they found, like, for some reason, like, characters were just dying, just weirdly. Just where, I don't know how they're dying. And one of the developers goes through Twitter and just explains how they found the thread. Like, how they found that bug, and how they fixed it. And other Hmm. developers were like, oh yeah, I remember, because I did the same type of thing in Dragon Age, or Obsidian, like, they do their own Twitch playthroughs, where they'll they'll go on Twitch and they'll play games. Like, I watched them play Alien Isolation one Halloween, which was a blast, and they were all drunk on whiskey. Nice. uh, Which might have been when they were also making this game. Uh, Because, man, you could drink a lot of alcohol. Uh, And you get weird flaws, like if you damage yourself too often... You can have a flaw, like a constant concussion, but you get a perk. For I was it. I was a coward, and I think I only accepted one flaw. Like I, I no, didn't I interact did with that system at all. I yeah. am a perfect princess. Mm-hmm. Eat dicks. But uh, so, but that's what I loved about this game. Like me coming at it from like the, the like getting really into role playing. I got really into role playing this year, guys. Um, but I loved that. Like I loved giving myself as many flaws as possible because it. I don't know, it just felt really fun to want to roleplay my character as that, like as someone who, like, now can't run as fast because they've jumped off a lot of shit. Like, it's just like stuff like that I thought was really, really fun. So if I do have one other complaint about this game, it's things like that, the flaw system. where There were several systems in this game that I just chose not to engage with that, or that I tried to engage with that, that felt a little underdeveloped that I really hope they address for the DLC. So the flaws is one where it's like, the stakes felt very low because there was like no negative for me to turn down the flaw, right? It, they they, they kind of gave you that option of opting out of the flaws, which I would imagine they did that because in playtesting, people were like complaining. But it's at the same time, it's like, well, no, I, I fucked up. I'm the one who got shot too many times or I jumped off those buildings and, you know, and so, so I didn't engage with that. I barely used the slowdown thing. And then the oh, other yeah, system. The, the time 
dilation thing. The time dilation thing. The bullet time. It's great. And I barely use my my companion powers. Like when I remembered them, I was like, oh yeah, I have these companion powers. I should trigger them. And then the science weapons. I felt like the science weapons were a big missed opportunity in that even if you upgraded them, which got ridiculously expensive, their DPS was just so much lower than other weapons. They were there more to be kind of like a novelty like okay did anyone play the dlc from oblivion the shivering Shivering isles Isles? where where you where you know if you beat the quest line i think it's is the jabberwock is what you get it's that staff that kind of has crazy effect the wabajack thing so it the the science weapons were all kind of like that they all had crazy effects you know like Mm -hmm. one would shrink enemies and make them tiny and one one would uh one had like melee that triggered different effects every time you used it but they just they weren't powerful enough where i was like okay i am actually just getting frustrated and switching to my other weapons where I feel like I should have been rewarded more for trying to engage with the science weapons. Hmm. And I barely even use the perks because they didn't sound really that interesting to me when I read through them Mm -hmm. because like for New Vegas or, you know, some other type of role-playing games, like, Oh, it actually makes a difference. Well, why would, why would I do this perk? Like this perk doesn't actually help me any. I was more excited yeah. about getting the plus 10 on the companion perk, like for Felix, mm-hmm. who is adorable. Oh, yeah. Cute. Uh, but see, see, he's my least favorite. He's annoying. You can ignore Felix. Yeah. That's fine. Can you? No, Felix is adorable. In Monarch, no. you go to a tossball club and he flirts with like the bartender. It's mm. so adorable. He's He's so cute. I know what you mean, though, about the perks. Like, they didn't necessarily feel as rewarding. It, almost a little underdeveloped. I will give them credit on one thing, though, is the, the stat system. I really like that system of you're burying stats into three things at a time until you reach a certain point, and then you can choose individual ones. And then for every... Yeah. I don't think it was every 10, but it was like every 25 points, you would get another bonus from investing in that stat. You know, it might be like, okay, now you have a plus 50 crit chance on handguns because you've put 75 points into handguns or something. And it's, so it almost became a game of like, well, I kind of need this stat, but I, or I could just spend all my points and keep investing in this one and and open up this perk where it, that felt really fun to me of the kind of choosing and, and getting to really customize and build my character. Yeah, I did the same thing. I almost never touched melee and I almost never touched defense. There's like a there's like a dodge that I never used. I was uh, like, oh, yeah. I can you dodge can and dodge. I, I just it. thought it was like a thing uh, for luck, like missing. Things will miss you sometimes. No, it's like an A button. No. It's like a side jump. Uh, you, you won't use it. No, I <laughs> don't, won't. don't even yeah, bother. You, no. <laughs> yeah, you'll use it more in Greedfall. I think I would describe this as like the perfect Game Pass game. The length was great. It's one of those things, though. Had I paid $60 for this game, I would have been expecting like a 40 to 100 hour Fallout experience. But the fact that it was included with my Game Pass subscription, I'm like, oh, this is perfect. This gives me exactly what I want. It's a wonderful B tier game. It's. Yeah. It's what a beer tier B tier game should be. And for me it's just it's triple in everything but maybe it's length. I'm really excited to see what the DLC is. It's gonna be awesome. But is it gonna be as awesome as Number eight? <clears throat> My Shinobi. In accordance with the bond of Lord and Retainer, you will pledge your life in my service. As you command. Oh, it's so moving. What game is this? Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Sekiro. 
I'm shocked Sega didn't put out a game called My Shinobi for Wii like 10 years ago. That... <laughs> yeah. My yeah. Shinobi. Why wouldn't That's they? a good dating sim game. You know, I gotta say, I don't really like the fact that the second half of that, because for some reason, like, you hear the music going on in the background, you hear that moment and stuff like that, and you're just like, Sekiro. But something about after the call, it's like, shadows die twice. Yeah, yeah. it's just... Because you know. can die exactly just, twice. Yeah. That's classic FromSoft. Yeah. <laughs> so who's rejoining don't, don't, us? Don't go, don't go looking for answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't go looking for answer from software. Um, who's rejoining us for this segment? This is Leif Johnson with Macworld.com. And George Albor from Experience Points Podcast. Thank you both and, for and my joining cat us again. jumping on the desktop. Sekiro's yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah, Sekiro is great. The third Soulsborne series, if you want to look at it that way. If 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 you think of it as like, yeah, this is all one big franchise that began with Demon Souls and right. Dark Souls and Bloodborne. I th- and Sekiro. This, my favorite Souls game of the year was was Jedi Fallen Order. <laughs> right? <laughs> Same, actually. Yes, exactly. That was, that was a much softer Souls game in terms of difficulty, yeah. yes. in, in that it actually had variable difficulty. difficulty. Right. I, did, I did feel like, though, Sekiro was a much deeper game. Oh, right? yeah. If you're oh, into yeah, Souls. Yeah. Oh, no, it no, is. No. And, you know, also but, more stable. Strangely, a much, a much better, <laughs> one of the best looking games I've ever seen. And I like, you know, and people, I've seen some people that say, oh, that, you know, because it was a real world setting and they didn't like that it, you know, because they liked the fantasy of Dark Souls and stuff. But I don't know, especially for a Western audience, you know, that recreation of kind of like medieval Japan and stuff. They did such yeah. a beautiful job. And, you know, being Japanese, it was something they knew and that really came through. And uh, well, who are these people? Because you are an yeah. undead samurai with a magic hand that turns into any tool you needed. To. I know. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, you mean the shinobi prosthetic my left arm (laughs) what did you do to me that is what i call the shinobi prosthetic a fitting fang for a one-armed wolf useless when it comes to carving buddha though but great for if you want to turn this game into Bionic Commando and just swing around all the time. I don't they have a cooler name for that in Japanese. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but if I don't get this out, when Chris said Prosthetic. My Shinobi earlier, all I could think of is My Shinobi. That'd be sweet. Let's hear that remix. Yeah, Sekiro is crazy. It's Crazy hard. Yeah, crazy hard, and it surprises you nonstop. Like, just when you think you've got a handle on what this world is, and where everything's going, bam, a centipede jumps out of a guy. Or, bam, a, oh. something that you just cut the head off of stands up and picks up its head and starts, like, moving in a really unnatural, disturbing way to try and slice you into pieces. Yeah. Are you traumatized from the headless ape? I am traumatized from the headless ape. So I love Souls games. Uh-huh. And I was playing through this thing and making good progress. And I really appreciated the the stuff they were trying with really... You could tell that the Souls games over time, they've been trying to force you to use parry. I think Bloodborne mm-hmm. is the best example. It's like, no, you have a gun, but it's really a parry mechanic. Mm-hmm. And this game was even more yeah. like hitting you over the head, like you need to parry. Yeah. But then I got... Well, you do need to parry. Oh, no, you absolutely you need, need to parry, to parry in this parry. game. It's, it's, it's required. But then I got to a boss that I just could not beat. And every time... And normally with a Souls game, it's like, I'll sleep on it, come back the next day, beat it. 
I did that two or three times, and then we just had so many other games to play. I'm like, I just have to move on. Yeah. I can't. And, and it was, uh, was it, it was uh, Genichiro Ashina, the, the rooftop, uh, Ashina, oh, yeah, the that, rooftop yeah. version. That one, Ashina, yeah. just so rough. A lot of people bounce off Madam Butterfly. I actually beat her in like two or three attempts. Yeah, but she him, was him, I just could oh not beat. And, and it yeah. was always I would get to his third form, and so it wasn't mm -hmm. like oh a thirty second battle I have to try again. It was like no, I'm ten minutes in, and I'm having. It just, I mean, I, it took oh, me a few oh, hours, and then I think I was. I I was so happy when I finally beat him that I posted it on Twitter and just said, gotcha, fucker. Yeah. But I've never, so Souls games, I've never had that issue. Like, I've always been able right. to beat a boss Oof. after probably. Did you play you, all the DLC? Yeah. Yeah. And I, so okay. I've never, I've never bounced off a Souls boss. But I think part of the reason is this game, you can't brute force it in any way. There's almost no, grind. there's no way to grind past no. bosses or well, anything. Genichiro. And, and my, I think my complaint was that it's, it's not aggressive. Like it, it is a lot of waiting. It's not as mm. I, I tend to are, be a, a person yes. who relies on forward momentum, and there is a mild amount of stealth. I think my my because I played it for twenty hours, and I'll never say I hated it. Mm -hmm. It's just that like I practiced a ton, and I never found like any of it was applicable in the game, and I would just die suddenly, even at scrub enemies Casuals. for things I thought I <laughs> using techniques I thought I'd mastered. The timing on the practice dummy did feel more relaxed than actually in the game yeah. itself. Mm -hmm. like the, not practice, I mean, the practice the other the guy, undead the guy. guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I just, I mean, just, I, just I for, think... all, for all Souls games, like when you, you're fighting these people, eventually I feel like I, I find a moment where I see through the Matrix, and that never happened for me here. Mm -hmm. Never. But I'm more I of a dodger... That... Well, a dodgy yeah. guy than a parry guy. It's, it's the much parry more is kind of unrelenting. Relying on quick reflexes. Yes. Like it took me forever to figure out that Definitely. spear stomp move. Yeah. Yes. But but Genichiro, I think, was the first time that I got to a, an enemy in that game, which was you know hours and hours in when I realized like, oh, it's not just about slashing and taking off his life. I have to yeah. wear down his block. Yes. Like his block yeah. has yes, its own exactly. health. And when it reaches zero, then I can damage him. Yes. And that mechanic actually made it into Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah. Which, it's but really I, I thought it was a little, little easier to handle. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think that so much of Sekiro is about having combat phases, right? Like there mm -hmm. are those moments when you have to block or you have to be on the move or you have to be aggressive or you have to be avoiding the enemy. The Headless Ape Fight is actually a great example of this because oh, it yeah. transitions in the middle of the battle. And in the first phase, it's much more about getting your timings right. And then in the second phase, you just really have to change up how you fight. Mm -hmm. And it, they did this in Dark Souls 3 and, and a couple of the other games, but more sparingly, where there's boss fights with multiple phases. Yeah. And if you die in the third phase, you have to go through phase one and two again. Mm -hmm. I think that is the the biggest problem with the entire game. But what I will say is when it works, it's great. Mm -hmm. I think the Headless Ape fight is awesome. I yeah. love having to swap between how I think about how I'm combating a boss. But I, I think it's totally fair to say, like, you, you know, a lot of people bounced off of Genichiro. Uh, the final boss fight, I think, is one of the worst boss fights FromSoft has ever put together. I just think that when they're on, they're on more than they have almost ever been. Yeah. But they also let their – it feels like they let their uh, legendary difficulty get the best of them and, yeah. and made some, I think, sloppy fights that caused people to bounce mm -hmm. off, what is otherwise a great game. Also, it has yeah, huge like, – I, I thought it was great, but at, at some point I'm just like, I am not going to invest any more time getting good at this mm -hmm. game. I have sure. given yeah. it I've looked up more tutorials, practice way more than any other game and like I'm still not get good, I get it, but I I made the effort. And at well, some I, point like there's other stuff to do. 
Well, and the problem with the multi-phase fight is it's really difficult to practice that third phase. It's yeah. it's not easy right. for you to get better if you can't actively choose to learn. And that's something I think Bloodborne, Dark Souls hasn't had to confront as much as mm-hmm. Sekiro did. Because I, I love the Soulsborne series. I will mm-hmm. proselytize that series to the end of the world. And I love Sekiro. I just don't love it as much of the as much as the others because yeah, of that. There, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm going like, to say something complimentary to this. Is, okay, in... Dark Souls and everything. Uh, I believe it or not, Bloodborne didn't really resonate with me, but I, I would say it is still. Uh, That's my favorite. Yeah, it it's. Yeah, I quit. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's. Uh, but you know, a lot of those were. I look really forward to getting to the boss fights because they were so cool and stuff like this. And the rest of it was just like, eh, you know, it's it's really good. And but Sekiro was a game where I really loved the moment to moment combat, the world and stuff like this. Yeah. And when I got to the boss, I was like, eh, not another one. Yeah, because yeah. I, I actually that was the first game in which I actually looked forward to the real world. You know, the outside of the boss combat. Mm-hmm. And I think that's to me the big difference between the main Souls games. Yeah, in fact, I, I would that's say the moment to moment, the in between boss stuff. Like you talk about getting good. Sekiro does something that very few people have talked about. It makes you feel like a badass more than any of those other Souls games do. Because typically with Souls games, you get to a high enough level and you're one or two slashing enemies. Sekiro, when it's at its best, is making you use the grapple. Uh, It's making you use stealth. It's making you combo stealth from one guy to another. And you feel like, holy shit, I feel like a ninja. Like, it really is a ninja simulator. And then you will hit a boss fight and it's just like an stopping your tracks like you're not a badass you're nothing (laughs) but in the meantime even if they see you you still get to like run them through pretty quick Mm yeah Yeah, take that you stupid fucking archer (laughs) also this game this game has huge headless ghost giants who will kill you they will fist the hero in the asshole and pull out his soul and shove it up their own assholes. It's disturbing yeah. to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how they I mean, gain the they, they got my memo. I love fisting things by accident in Bloodborne. Yeah, so. yeah fisting that pig? Man, now now you get yeah, to see dude, what it you feels can fist like. the pig. Yeah. Man, you you uh, what is, uh, Pornhub algorithms are really just out of control. It's fucking really nuts. Forced. No, I was looking for Babe Pig in the City. I must have... <laughs> but apparently that comes from like a Japanese folkloric thing that like, yeah, certain ghosts will suck your 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 soul right out of your ass. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, I didn't know you were going. I thought we were going to have a Dan Aykroyd yeah, Ghostbusters moment. <laughs> <laughs> a little... I, mean, I, I almost well, Tom Poco and pulled my nutsack over my head and flew away. Uniform. <laughs> you know the story. Yeah. Kids, don't go outside or the ghost will suck your soul out of your asshole. Exactly. Exactly. Welcome to yes. Japan, motherfuckers. But that would keep me yes. but, but yeah, this is the closest. Uh, please, spirits, rim me, rim me no more. <laughs> uh, oh, no, mean... I'm being visited by the ghost of rimming yet to come. <laughs> the ghost of Christmas ass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Did I overdo it? Did I overdo it? <laughs> Sorry. It's good. It's good. I'll take a timeout. I apologize. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, but yeah, it's it's an interesting. Like you re- you made the point of like this is set in sort of the real world earlier, and then it, like they say like oh this is in Japan, this is a province in Japan, yeah. and it's like yeah it, it is it is the first in the Soulsborne. Like you never find out that like oh yeah Drang Lake is actually like a county in Wales or something like that. And I think I think yeah. that would take away a lot of the mystique. And I, yeah, the mystique yeah. that that real world setting is what makes that stuff seems like whoa. It is like like seeing it, 
because they set it up that way, it is almost like seeing that crazy stuff in our own real world. And mm-hmm. I believe it because, you know, in Dark Souls and stuff, they've established that this is, you know, fantasy horror, like, straight from the beginning. But they're, yeah. Yeah, I, it's I technically like the afterlife. The afterlife sucks, but at least you get to hit things with a sword. <laughs> yeah. Plus, if you're a ghost, you get to suck people's souls out of their asshole. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's sort of like a win-win right now. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was born to be a ghost. <laughs> I ain't afraid of no ghost unless Got they do that. Ghosts out here doing rusty trombones all over yeah. people. Yeah, we only saw him get Dan Aykroyd from the front. Uh, no, no, the rusty trombone, man. You know, look it up, yeah. kids. You put your, but the ghost gets behind you and grabs you by the heart and goes, <laughs> oh, and it's a rusty trombone. Never mind, Michael. Okay. Right. Urban Dictionary, right. that shit. I thought that was a rusty I'm, venture. I'm glad I was on the same level. Is Chris on this one? <laughs> right there. Right on. Just fucking... uh, so Sekiro. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. Let's talk more about ninjas and less about ghost fisting assholes. Are you calling us assholes? Because that applies as well. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Let's run with this. Um, um, the, the other thing people said about this game, and I kind of was talking about it earlier, is it's sometimes it felt less Souls game and more Tenchu remake yeah right? a little because bit it, it yeah. did have yeah. a ninja thing going it on. did feel like a successor to tenchu same developer from yeah. software mm. but uh, wait lo- waiting for that long-awaited kingsfield remake that they're mm. going to do it's not basically yeah, i think one of my notes success. for something i would i would have given to the souls game is like make me more mobile i just didn't it didn't add to my experience as much as i would have liked it did open up a lot of fun exploration opportunities where you know in the souls games it's always like go try to find this powerful item that is this on this guy on this cliff edge or whatever and and having that grapple available to you like really open mm. that up a little bit more which was cool yeah yeah I also really appreciate that this game's narrative was more accessible than either Dark Souls or Bloodborne. I do enjoy the world of Bloodborne more, but I'm glad that they're actually, you know, writing a story that is told and not just read on, like, random runes I find on ears on the ground and Mm -hmm. stuff. Touched a demon inside me. Yes. (laughs) Like, you you have a clear sense of what's going on at any given time and what you're doing and what your goal is. Whereas, like, in a Souls game, it's, like, really... Well acted nonsense when there are yes. cinematics. It's like I don't know what you're saying, but it's, you're doing a great job. <laughs> I mean the the first main like the main quest of Bloodborne you're given in the first minute, and it's seek pale blood to transcend the hunt. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> right. like, <it's>, you know. <laughs> Well, you seek the pale blood and you transcend the hunt. I mean, well, I mean, clearly at this point, I get it, but yeah, you know, yeah, it yeah. makes a lot more sense if you're like, oh, Shinobi. But, you know, a, a hunter must hunt. So. <laughs> Rather than giving me some disparaging name for John Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, Sekiro is a lot of fun, and it's it's extremely challenging. Like, what do you guys think about, there was like a minor controversy when some people dared to suggest that this game get in easy mode or even like a normal difficulty like the internet seemed to explode at them i was one of those people and i asked for an easier mode because like i wanted to get through i wanted to play more of this i was super excited for this i'm just saying like i i I put this high on my game of the year list because i respect it immensely even though i do understand it was not for me it ultimately Mm -hmm. didn't Mm -hmm. it wasn't what i exactly what i wanted it didn't it didn't gel with me very well, but I respect the hell out of it. You know, I th- but we we're sorry. We we're talking about the difficulty, like yeah. not having. I feel like I should varying explain myself a little better. I, I think it wasn't so much calling for an easy difficulty mode as calling for this to be 
accessible to more people. Yeah. I don't think this. Okay, first of all, well, and it, I I yeah. do agree with James, James Davenport wrote that article for PC Gamer. Poor James, he's not even on Twitter anymore. But uh, you know, it was the one where he used the the cheat codes on uh, the, for uh, I mean the, the cheat you know to, to defeat the boss and said, "Wow, this is a lot more fun." And you know, you know what, James, I agree with you. And uh, James adopted my cat, so yeah. <laughs> but it was uh, don't it, don't feel bad for him. He's off Twitter. He's free, right? Free! Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, but you know that was the one where that meme basically where the you didn't j- cheat the game, you cheated yourself. That's where That's that right. came from. Yeah, yeah, see, that was I, such a big thing. You know, if if I went to a steakhouse with someone and I ordered a nice steak and they ordered a hamburger, I'd feel bad for them, but I still got to eat my steak. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah, I, I just right. don't see how anybody else playing on an yeah. easier mode would affect my enjoyment of the game. The thing is, is not that me. This is I would have I would have knocked the hamburger out of their plate and pulled down a screen and gone all Glenn back on why he should appreciate steak. <laughs> I'm gonna say, yeah, there, there's so many games out. You got plenty of games to play. That's yeah. that is the point of these games. I'm yeah. that, that's but but Sekiro and like the the Souls games and Bloodborne, they kind of exist in this weird thing that like. Like, they are clearly not for everyone. Yes. Like, their mileage may vary, but at the same time, like, they are essential, and they are, like, games that are, like, anointed by critics is this is something everyone should play. Like, that's what we're doing here right now. We're saying, like, mm-hmm. this is one of our favorite games of the year. Everyone should play it. Mm. It fucked with my illusion of the Souls games, because I think there is a reality there that even when I'm failing in a Souls game, I'm acquiring XP that just makes me stronger and, yes. and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and more durable, where this does that does not work here at all. So, so real quick, on the on the accessibility versus difficulty thing, I think part of the problem I had, and I believe we talked about it at the time, is the two debates got intermingled. Yeah. There, there was, yeah. there was, yeah, yeah. there is, because to me, there is a difference between accessible games as someone who suffers from disabilities, and this game played on one of those yes. it, it had that red icon i couldn't see because i couldn't can't really see the color red well mm-hmm. versus like a difficulty setting so th- that complicated the issue and and was feeding into the controversy and it's like well wait what are we talking about are you talking about difficulty or accessibility and at the time i was kind of of the school i'm like well look man when is a japanese developer ever really you know if they want to craft and make their own experience that's what they're going to do and you're either going to play it or, or you're not right but as i just said earlier I bounced off this game because I literally could not beat a boss. And so I could not see the rest of this game and this story they crafted. And fine, shame on me. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. If, if I only was able to buy one or two games a year, how pissed would I be? And right. I'd probably brute for, figure out a way to get through that thing if it was only yeah, one or two if, games If I'd you play. could only play one or two games a year, you would get past that right okay <laughs> but it's like so so the difficulty in that point is it is blocking off content and not as many people are getting to see and enjoy this thing so i don't know like like you guys said though it's like what harm really would it be to put an easy option in this game that it's yeah. your choice whether or not you enable well, it. okay i'm, I'm gonna go back to what i said is, is out in the world and stuff like that i felt like i was learning there that was skill that i could learn i could fight that stuff i thought the darn bosses were friggin' overtuned and stupid hard mm-hmm. it, it was like if you just brought those bosses down just a little bit i think a lot of that would have gone away because in the real the world yeah. jumping from roofs and killing the yeah, archers man. and stuff i didn't think all that was that bad to add some complexity to the conversation too <laughs> I do think there's a difficulty between saying that the game needs an easy mode and saying the game needs better designed boss fights, yeah. you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. is the solution making it easier or is the solution making it 
more accessible in other ways. That's right? what like I was maybe saying. Maybe doesn't yes, need a difficult base slider. Yeah, but yeah. like giving the bosses think, more obvious tells or something. Yeah. Yeah, or like like I think the last boss, right? I think the last boss is one of the worst designed bosses in all of Soulsborne. And that's crazy to me because I think the game also has some of the best bosses in all of the Soulsborne series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that last mm-hmm. boss, good luck trying to learn how to finish phase three if you can't get through phase one and two, which each require ideally different uh, different weapon arts that you're bringing into the battle, right? And you're and if you want to experiment, like, oh, well, maybe I should bring this weapon art into the third phase, but then that weapon art is useless for phase one and phase two. Like, it's just so difficult to learn. I, that's you know, not you know I point. actually... I did notice in Jedi Fallen Order, when you get to like the third phase of a boss and he kills you, like he'll just start doing that shit from the beginning so you can learn that yes. without waiting for cutscenes yep. to occur. And well, I did, just like, right, that is that, that they brilliantly adapted right. that aspect into, into a game that's not nowhere near as hard. Yeah. Or what if <laughs> yeah. there was like a practice mode? I don't know. I mean, I don't want to yeah. try to solve for that issue. The other yeah. thing I would say is, I, I don't remember what game it was. Maybe you guys can remember. But there was a game that I think came out this year that had a difficulty slider, but in order to change it, you had to. it warned you, like, hey, we don't want you to change this, but if you must, go for it. But you had to opt into changing the difficulty. I think a solution like that is kind of interesting because you can mm-hmm. still say sure. loud and clear, difficulty is part of the process. We want you to learn through punishment yeah. and yeah. failure yeah. and if you if you uh, want to disable but, achievements and stuff by doing that fine i, sure. I don't give a shit yeah, was, was it ninja gaiden 2 that like added like a pink ribbon to your character if you played on easy yeah well the wolfenstein <laughs> games are, are, are bad at that too and that's that that became part of this discussion people were like hey that's some toxic masculinity shit the fact that like wolfenstein will have yeah, a baby bonnet in a, in a mm-hmm. pacifier if you put yeah. it on easy difficulty it's like that's not helping anyone come on well, so it's funny. The, but it's immature. Going sure. back to what I was saying. I thought about, it was pro-baby. <laughs> <laughs> going back to what I was saying about this, you know, that, that's being a part. I mean, yes, Sekiro has a better story than a lot of the shows. Nobody's playing that game for the story. I mean, it, it's it's nice to have there. It's a little bit, but it's still very minimal. It's still very, very important. But give you an idea, I'm seeing as a person who's, I, I really think that the bosses need to be tuned down or something like that. I, I, I don't think the general difficulty is that bad. I think the bosses were just insane. Yeah. I wonder yeah. if they have been because we all played right around launch yes. and i wonder if we went back yeah, now yeah. like have they patched it to make Maybe. it playable that's proof that i don't i doubt it because yeah fall in order you know you wanted to follow that really for the story that is a, also a story mm-hmm. game so you know i was playing through fallen order and i got to that owl boss that big one in the cave and stuff like that i got him two times down to five percent and i died and i was like you know what screw this and i just put it on easy and then i, I killed him and i after uh, it was just like i've, I've proven myself because <laughs> i just got i got tired of getting that low and, uh, but that was the case because you know there were other there were other benefits to that game, to the story and everything else, other than just the the gameplay. Whereas to me, any kind of self sporting game, the gameplay is the game, and that's yeah. that's me. And I, dude, I get the appeal of Souls games is the reward you feel from being able to overcome something that is an immense challenge, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah, if you put in easy mode, there's less of that there. But I will also say it's like. Hey, if I can't experience your entire thing because you've made it so difficult that I can't progress despite yes. having played through multiple other versions of your game, mm-hmm. well, maybe you've gone a little too far. Yeah. And maybe, you know, people who, I guess the, the other side of this is that this toxic masculinity thing, like mm-hmm. people who wear that shit like a badge of honor, like, oh, well, I was able to be the thing you couldn't. It's like, 
you're not helping anyone. Yes. You're just being immature. Like, yeah. You know, and see, that ruins arguments like mine. Than you. Yeah, because that, that's, yeah. Because I, I would this not say have that. a real yeah. job. Yeah. <laughs> this is the problem with the, the legendary difficulty that FromSoft brings to their games. Because I think anyone who truly loves Soulsborne would argue that those games, like, I, I love those games to death. And I think everybody should play them. And I don't think they're hard. And I want everyone yeah. to finish it. And I want everyone to have a good time. Because mm-hmm. everybody can do it. Like, the games aren't that hard. It's just you need you. to learn the right thing. Right? I actually I blame uh, I blame the games press a lot for kind of giving them that reputation. Yeah. It's like, oh my yeah. god, it's so difficult, and it's like it's overstated for sure. You can yeah. and you can and grind think, past anything in that game so right. that you can beat it. You know, and yeah. And right. I wonder if that itself influenced how they built some of these boss fights. Yes. You know, where they're like, well, people say we're hard, we better be hard. Let's amp it up a notch. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. Don't we? We don't want you to be hard. We want you to be fair, and we want you to teach us. You know, give us something new and teach us. Mm-hmm. And maybe they were getting annoyed that so many Twitch streamers and stuff like that. Oh, let me go through all the Souls games without getting hit once. And they were, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think they love that because yeah. that yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. helps get the message out about that game. I. One thing that fascinates me about this game, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in the meetings between From and Activision. The fact that Activision published this game, of all people, because you've <laughs> got to believe Activision's like, uh, this is too hard. Can we ramp some of this stuff back? And From just like, put some no. Microtrans- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe we can have a gold arm. <laughs> all right. Well, we've spent a lot of time yeah. on this, considering we've also yeah. got more, like, more time than I could play the game about. because of the difficulty. So yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've gotten my money's worth. Yeah. I have to spend at least ten hours talking about this game. I, yeah. I can't definitely replay Bloodborne before you replay yeah. Sekiro. But Agreed. I guess if we spent this long talking about it, it must be really good. Right, like I think it's, <laughs> it is. It belongs in the game of the a uh, game of the year conversation. Yes, for yes, sure. absolutely. Like the Goose right. game. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to number seven. Oh man, what is this game? What could it possibly be? Those familiar tones. Well, <laughs> it's not Cadence of Hyrule. No, it's not. But it's uh, uh, Link's Awakening. Yeah. Although, strangely, this this is also a really music dependent adventure. But before we get into that, who's joining us for this segment? Oh well, it's Plastic Octorok Steve Guntley from the Ultra Sixty Four podcast. <laughs> oh, that's pretty plastic good. Plastic Octorok is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wish they'd make yeah. a Plastic Octorok amiibo. But, uh, oh man, I want that so bad. This, this whole game should just be Amiibos. Like, if yeah. this was if this was released during really the height of the Amiibo craze, you can bet most of those things would have been translated. I mean, they did it at E three. They had yep. the diorama. Those models exist somewhere. It, so. it, it oh, would move a lot of plastic. Is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I've got my little Link guy right here. He's adorable. I yeah. want more. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Mine's staring at me from across the room. Just those little black <laughs> button eyes. Stares. Yeah, yeah. He's he's the elf on the shelf. Well, the Hylian on the shelf, but uh, still. Oh yeah, way yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I I loved this game, and generally I have a hard and fast rule that we ignore remakes for our top ten games of the year. But this and maybe one of the other ones that we'll talk about later <laughs> was really special. Like. It's a not quite one-to-one remake, but although you can, like I was able at a couple points to look up strategy guides for the original Game Boy Link's Awakening and get through bits that were styming me in the Switch Link's Awakening. Mm. But I think the the visual 
the musical overhaul, like every everything has been translated into 3D so beautifully and so charmingly that like to not recognize this game would be kind of a sin. Mm, yeah, oh, and, and 100%. Full disclosure, listeners, I am the one person on this, this recording that has not played the game. So I am sort of your surrogate if you have not played this game because I'll be asking. I have lots of questions for these gentlemen about why it does deserve to make our top 10. I think, Michael, that's a, you did a great job of kind of setting that up because, mm. yeah, I think the one reason – I didn't play this game was because I've played it before because I was told it was nearly a one for one remake. Not, not that you can't go back and play things you've already played, but when you have a game queue as long as mine, it's like, well, mm-hmm. I got to get to the new stuff. But, um, so tell me a little bit more about, you know, how it still feels so new and different and yet how they were able to just kind of take a lot of the elements from the first and and bring it into a modern time you know because obviously if you just completely remade that original game with its pacing and stuff it probably wouldn't do too well with with kind of how we're used to games so what has been up what has been updated well the the pacing the the movement but go ahead steve you'll probably put it better than i will what i was noticing i mean if, if you guys are anything like me i mean you've probably played this original game many many times over the years this is probably like my fourth playthrough of uh of link's awakening so it didn't like aside from the aesthetic upgrades obviously there wasn't a whole lot different there's a lot of little tweaks like they make gameplay improvements like you no longer need to equip the bracelets to pick things up you know the pegasus boots are mapped to the r button so it's like it's easier to access. I think what the real appeal about this for me is that it's bringing this game kind of back into the consciousness. It's introducing it to a whole new generation that probably would be reluctant to play a game on the original Game Boy. And I think it's it found a way to make one of the best and most like beautiful Zelda games kind of relevant to a modern age. I think that's the really impressive achievement. Well, one of the most unique too, right? Because that that's what's so interesting is sort of like a Super Mario 2, Link's Awakening just is, it's a weird Zelda entry in terms of like the the creatures they use, in terms of where it's set. It's so different. And so it was so refreshing when they did announce they were remaking this particular game. But you touched on something, Steve, that I, I wanted to ask about. You mentioned the shoulder buttons because obviously the Game Boy just had the two buttons. Mm-hmm. So how do they take advantage and make good use of all the extra buttons the Switch offers? Well, yeah, that's really kind of, about the extent of it, largely. I mean, you do still have to swap out for the other buttons. Like, I think it would have been nice if they'd added a couple of extra, like, item buttons. I think that would have been a little bit of a stronger use of the hardware. But just some of the little tweaks that they made that just kind of make some standard, I don't know, some kind of standard gameplay improvements that just really make the game flow a lot better. It's faster and easier to pick up. If I can make a confession here, uh, I didn't own a Game Boy until the Game Boy Advance came out. So this was actually my first time playing through Link's Awakening, finally getting to something I've been meaning to do since I was a teenager. And yeah, just being able to discover this for the first time, it's such a weird outlier for Zelda, and it's such a unique thing. It's got so much personality, like the developers were originally inspired heavily by Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I think a lot of that personality comes through. There's, there's just some weird stuff, like you meet that guy... Papal early on and he's like oh I'm Papal later on you'll find me lost in the mountains 
and then yeah. you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's got little witty touches yeah. like that that were all present in the original game. Uh-huh. Too, yeah, yeah, and and this one adds a few new things. It bolts on a couple new mini games. There's like you, you have to find little dolls that go on specific podiums in the in the main village, and and so like trying to hunt those down is is kind of fun. And they also they bring in Dompe the the a gravedigger from Ocarina of Time and here he has a whole new way to play by creating these randomized dungeons from tiles that you find in the other dungeons so you can go to him and make your own custom dungeons play through them get loot whatever and then save them to your amiibo to replay later or to share and I admit I didn't mess with that feature very much I didn't uh, either I thought it was a cool idea Mm -hmm. that sounds like it would add a lot of replayability to a game like this which that's that's one of my other kind of it's not a knock against the Zelda games especially a game like Breath of the Wild which you're going to get like 100 hours out of but sometimes these smaller Zelda experiences it's like well I'm I'm really only going to play this once and maybe come back to it a few years later to replay it Mm -hmm. but it's yeah by introducing something like that that sounds cool to me as like, yeah, I can go back and, and, and play this every now and then if I want to. That's really that's really neat. Can you guys speak to one of the things I love is they could have easily just made this a really beautiful 2D game. And then we all see, I mean, the Switch does 2D amazingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we just did that show, the best 2D games. But I love that they chose, I don't know, it looks like playable toys. It's it's like this weird stop motion looking yeah. plastic toy. Di- well, I love and- love the art style. Does that play into the gameplay at all? I mean, I don't know how much it plays into the gameplay. Like, it, it does give the game a very unique look. All the characters kind of have a, an almost plasticky sheen. But I feel like a lot of the attention went into remaking these visuals to, to look the way that they do. And also retooling the music. Like, the music... Mm. also gets its own injection of charm, and I have a bunch of samples here. Here's the overworld music. Familiar, a little more orchestral than normal, but... uh, Well, that was just like, I think, a string quartet. Yeah. That was just like, yeah, Yeah, a few instruments. Something interesting happens when, at one point in the game, you have to escort this girl from the village, Marin, to this other village, and when she follows you, the music changes completely. Players. I love that. Marin's the like the flute. Yeah. yeah. Tonight the part of Ganon will be played by the oboe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very very Peter and the Wolf. And clearly yeah. whoever was playing that was getting a lot of use out of the dash boots. <laughs> I mean, I love I love that audio recording too because it's a little echoey. It sounds like it, it sounds like a live recording of a string quartet. Very mm-hmm. minimal, very like mm-hmm. the Zelda trend has been going bigger and bigger and more epic with their compositions. And this is just so simple and like pretty. I don't know. Or, go, really or like going going techno things. like in Cadence earlier this year. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Techno and, yeah, yeah, techno yeah. and rock Zelda. And that, <laughs> it, it's amazing how versatile that soundtrack really is, though, right? Because it's been oh yeah, it's been reimagined so many times, and yet every time I hear it and it's reimagined, it still works on me every single yeah. time. It's like yeah, oh god, yeah, it's it's like the Star Wars theme. It's one of those themes that like it doesn't. You, you think you're jaded to it until you hear a really good composition of it, and then yeah. Now you've done it, Steve. You call down the Star mm. Wars fans. Mm. Now the show oh, is. Oh wait. <laughs> 
we might have already. Wait, are they going to have a problem with that? Oh my god! So I want to talk about the music some more because even on the original Game Boy, like music was an incredibly important component of of Link's Awakening. Just even even in the the plot, that was when it introduced the ocarina, and you would have to go around learning songs for it. For example, you you meet up with Marin; she's singing in the town square, and you learn this one. <laughs> And not all the songs that you learn are quite that pretty. For example, there's Monbo the Sunfish, who teaches you this Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Then, of course, there's... There's Mamu, who is actually Wart from Super Mario Bros. 2, who plays one of the worst songs ever put into a video game, period. I really appreciate the effort that they went to to make that as annoying as the original, which was electronic shrieks mostly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that, the Mambo song. It makes me think of, like, I want to break out my little Maraca controllers for my Dreamcast and just jam along with those. Mm-hmm. But, but the, yeah, the, the Mamu song is really annoying. It makes <laughs> me think of, like, warm-up exercises when you're doing musical theater. Uh, and they're like, uh, yeah, trying to warm up your voice by yeah, doing yeah, scales. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. It's an unreleased cut, and now you know why. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was Mamu number four. Mm. It really took him to number five <laughs> to, to perfect the recipe. Uh, oh, God. But, yeah, one thing I also found interesting was that toyetic art style is not in the game's cutscenes, which the game mm. has two cutscenes at the very beginning and the very end, and they show a very familiar-looking Link, who's, who's very anime, looks kind of like he does in the art for, like, Link Between Worlds. And he gets lost at sea, and then he wakes up, and he's the cute little amiibo. And I think that, that kind of reinforces the... I, I don't think it's really a spoiler now to say that, like, this is all a dream. Not necessarily Link's dream, but it is a dream. Hmm. I think that's that little twist on it, not Link's dream, is what makes that twist palatable for me. Because mm-hmm. there's no way, there's no faster way to lose me than it was all a dream. Yeah. Uh, I will turn on your product, like, immediately like that. But <laughs> this, this to date, is still the only Zelda game that's ever made me cry. I think that ending mm. is so beautiful and so bittersweet and, like... I don't know, again, spoilers, but watching all of your friends that you've made throughout the course of this game, like, vanishing, you know, is really heartbreaking. Yeah, you're kind and of the bad guy. it's a beautiful little thing. You're kind of the bad you guy kind of are. Like You are become death, destroyer yeah. of worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little, little bit of uh, Greek Gnosticism thrown in, and it's just like, oh, well, all <laughs> these people are just manifestations of the uh, the actual god of this place the windfish that's been lulled into a sleep in a world created by these demiurge nightmares anyway it's getting Mm. too philosophical but (laughs) (laughs) i love the a little touch that they did with the visuals obviously the little toy figures look amazing but Mm. i love that they kind of put us like a like a little locus around links Mm. that everything's kind of subtly soft focus whenever it's like not focused on link it's kind of a little trick that i saw the first time in octopath traveler 
yeah, kind of an interesting yeah. way mm-hmm. to make a 2D graphics look a little more dynamic. The, the depth of field, and, yeah. They, they um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it gives it. There's there's a style of photography where you do that, where it's like the really up close photography, and then everything else is, and then they they vignette them a little bit. It, it, but I did hear a few people say that that effect is is a little strong sometimes, where it, it can be distracting because it is so soft focus, just when it's not like immediately around him. But uh, it does it does give it a very unique visual flair. I will you know I will agree. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I'll say about the visuals, like, and uh, the credit goes to actually to Cat Bailey on an episode of your show a couple of weeks ago. She brought up that the the toyetic style of the game kind of clashes with a little bit of a darker undertone that mm-hmm. the story has always had. Sure. It's kind of a little dark and twisted, and that doesn't really come across in the visuals. But it's also really hard to complain about that when it looks this charming and it's yeah. this much fun and just uh, yeah. Well, that could I, be one of the I reasons they did that. They they could have made that choice knowing, hey, this kind of has some dark themes. We need to counteract that a little bit because it's Zelda, you know. And- yeah, and I think also with with all the talk about the visuals and the sound, we're maybe downplaying the fact that like this this is one of the best playing Zelda games in ages. Like this. Oh yeah, it's a it's a fantastic game. It's maybe a little shorter than the average Zelda game, but it just feels really good to play. And I think Nintendo put a lot of work into making all the items and things that you get like work well and work well together. And the world is a lot of fun to explore. And there's there's just a lot to discover and a lot to do. Like I I could not pull myself away once I started until I had finished. Like this was all I was playing. That's how Zelda yeah. games tend to work on me too. Yeah, they're yeah, just big yeah. big blocks of time, mm-hmm. but but worth it the whole time. I got through this one much much faster than the typical Zelda game because you know I knew all the tricks and it was kind mm-hmm. of coming to me quickly. But part of the joy for me as like a longtime fan of this game was seeing the way that they would reimagine some of my favorite dungeons. You know and. They cleared up a lot of the ambiguity that was in the original Game Boy one, just mm-hmm. by necessity of the technology. Like I remember the the temple later in the game where you're supposed to be throwing that metal ball to knock down pillars was wildly frustrating in the Game Boy game because you mm-hmm. couldn't really clearly see what was going on, mm-hmm. uh, and that's been cleared up nicely. The visuals just look so clean and uh, easy to process. Yeah, and the the color dungeon I think was added in DX, right? So because you couldn't mm-hmm. you obviously couldn't do that on regular Game Boy. And so it's interesting that's something that they kept from from DX but they they lost something else from DX which is the photographer that shows up at occasional places and and takes a photo of uh you know Link doing weird things shoving someone into water or grudgingly making friends with Azora or whatever. So. It's completely unreasonable of me to expect that, but I was hoping for some kind of little uh, throwback Game Boy camera peripheral that would come out with this <laughs> oh, game. Yeah. Something you could print your own little stickers or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's a fantastic game, and we should probably move on to... Number six. a lot of slicing a little bit of a rewind sound what could this game be the game with one of the best soundtracks of the year this is katana zero yes yes katana zero where you play as zero who has a katana who's joining us for this segment got proud bathrobe owner greg moore (laughs) (laughs) and that's all i got i love you big steve tl foster (laughs) that's awesome this this game was a hell of a surprise yeah because i never thought that a 2d 
time manipulating hotline Miami was something that I wanted. And now that I have it, I can't imagine not having it. It's <laughs> yeah, well, by 2D. I mean, you mean, you mean side, Two, side, yeah, side scrolling, yeah, side versus scrolling versus the top yeah, down. Of course, hotline, hotline Miami, Miami has yeah. always been 2D top yeah. down. But you're, this, I think, I think one of the reasons this surprised me is I kept probably confusing it with the messenger, which was la- a game from mm. last, last year or was the messenger two years ago. Messenger was last year. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, sort of, sort of eight, slash 16 bit uh, pixel pixel art games with samurai slash ninjas but uh, this is way different and yeah very well, good th- that that game has an actual trained ninja this game has a samurai in what appears to be a near future cyberpunk setting who may or may not just be a crazy person yes, <laughs> yes. yes. his samurai costume consists of a bathrobe. Yeah, a bathrobe. Um, to the point where there's a bit early on where you can chat up a receptionist and she's very nosy and is like, what's up with that robe? And you can either say like, oh, I'm just here to take a bath. Or you can say like, it's cosplay. Yes. Like, yeah. well, then what's with the sword? Or like, It's very dangerous to shower by yourself. <laughs> or if you're going for a certain ending, you can just cut her off every time she talks. Just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's one of the, the neat things about this game is there's a lot of dialogue, and depending on how patient you are, you can either pick from a dialogue tree or you can just cut them off abruptly. Sometimes that results in you getting shot in the face. Um, so be very careful about it. Yes. I think one of the one of the things i liked most about it was the story and the backstory and and how you had to uncover things over the course of the game and not that it's like a absolutely unique device or anything of an amnesiac trying to discover his past and all this Mm. stuff but the way they did it was really good the framing and the way they told the story and the fact that you you had to keep going to this psychiatrist slash psychologist that would give you meds and then you kind of kind of learn how those fed into the overall story arc it's uh yeah, it was just yeah. full of personality, really, really well told. Mm-hmm. But yes, you have you have mysterious abilities. You can die in one hit in this game, but you, like Hotline Miami, the name of the game is to just kind of move through these levels as quickly and or stealthily as possible, kill your enemies before they can kill you, which again can happen with one punch. But you have several powers at your disposal to get through this. You can, for example, slow time... And when time is slowed, you can slice bullets out of the air and actually deflect them back at the people who shot them at you, so that's a very efficient way to kill. You can pick up stuff that's littered around the environment, and every time you die, it just rewinds, and you're put back at the starting point of the level, and you get to start over because uh, your character can see the future. Yes. Yeah, yeah that, that's the premise. And so, so the, yeah. the actual gameplay is just... Your character pre-visualizing, like, okay, if I do this, what will happen? And then when you find a successful path through, he's like, all right, now I'm doing that. And then you just watch the the actual replay on, like, a security camera video. But, Greg, you you mentioned to me that, like, you finished the game and your reaction was just, what? (laughs) 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 can 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 we get into that without spoiling it too badly? Yeah, I'll try. Well, it was it was sort of a like a just a mystified what mm. <laughs> like a neutral because yeah. I was just so perplexed. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it, but I feel like what what happens with me with stories in general, especially ones that are kind of abstract or you know that sort of throw a curveball at you, is it's really hard for me to 
not like predict what's happening and i think i was sort of just blindsided by how it ended which i won't spoil but i was left wondering in in general terms i was left wondering did any of this happen (laughs) (laughs) or was it kind of like a jacob's ladder thing it felt very jacob's ladder to me you ready for me to blow your mind it's a video game. None of it happened. <laughs> yes, you can, we can definitely go to that route. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a, that's a terrible route. I hate that route. But I had to use it. No, the game was just so interesting, especially when they start playing with the mechanics that you've built on. Like It's like, hey, we're going to give you this slice of like be able to slow down time, and then what if it's used against you and like Ooh. it's just such a good good i don't know like i don't know how to like express like how much i love this game now i had saw this at a pax i want to say two years ago when they were kind of developing and i didn't know like it was one of those things where like you know when you see a game early but then when you don't think about it forever it's almost like oh i, I must have like imagined that game mm-hmm. and yeah. then when i saw the trailers for like this for katana zero come out i was like wait that's the game that i imagined and when I played through it, I was like, yeah, no, this is, like, I loved every second of it. It's it's just such a really, really good game. Yeah, I was I was replaying yeah, it last I, night, and it's like, oh, man, yeah, this is, like, it, it took me a little while to get reacclimated to it, but once I did, I was just, like, storming through it and, you know, smashing through conversations like an old pro, uh, <laughs> just interrupting the <laughs> shit out of people. Oh, yeah. I was So I was so afraid to do that. Um, mm. So I sat there waiting impatiently well yeah for the, for the first time i was too because like you can't you can't just be rude in a video game to a character that might have <laughs> yeah. important dialogue to share well they do tell they there is a point where it kind of shows on a timeline when you are allowed to interrupt and mm-hmm. and i definitely it, it is fairly generous in that you know sometimes they know you accidentally might have pressed that and they will always kind of give you a second chance to not interrupt if you did it once like the person you're talking to will kind of be taken aback like uh excuse me and then mm-hmm. that's your chance to be like to wait and then let them you know engage in the full conversation tree mm-hmm. um but yeah i did there were definitely some times where i accidentally hit it because i just jumped the gun on that one or you know <laughs> i was trying to smash through dialogue and i'm like oh mm-hmm. never mind yeah they thought about these things that you could tell is it so are the consequences i mean i, I don't know how much we can say without spoiling stuff but i, I am curious how often is it consequential to do that because, like, I feel like on a second playthrough, I'm going to want to just, like, say screw it to all the dialogue. <laughs> so there's some story stuff that you can miss. Like, the because there's, like, a, a, there's a recurring flashback thing. Like, how you do your dialogue choices through that, like, reveals some more of the, like, the backstory stuff of what maybe happens with Zero. But I think there's only one thing that's really triggered by being completely rude. And it's very hard. <laughs> so, like, that's, like, the only thing I could think of. Mm-hmm. That like triggers like when you're really really rude. Yeah, well, I, I imagine that like I've never I've never been rude to the receptionist, but I imagine getting her angry might lead to having an altercation with certain characters as you're leaving. You you actually you you encounter a cop if you are rude yeah, to the receptionist. Yeah. But you, like you, at you the encounter the or, cop yeah. no matter what. But if you're nice to her, then she makes an excuse for you. She like backs up whatever your story mm-hmm. is as long as it's consistent. With what you told her when you came in. Right. It's like, yeah, know, yeah, if the cop says, like, why are yeah. you spattered with blood? And you're like, oh, this, these are bath products, actually. And she's like, that's right. He was going to go take a bath. <laughs> Look at his right. right. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, this, this is a, a very fun game. And, and yeah, I think it's one of the best 2D games of the year, one of the best indie games of the year. And it absolutely deserves a place on our list. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. 
So I I had some thoughts slash questions. Sure. Uh, as someone who enjoyed this game, but I probably would not have put it on my top ten. Um. One one thing that just kept jumping to mind is it's so Hotline Miami that I just wondered if does it feel like it's crossing a line to you guys at all in terms of like derivativeness? Because I feel like I don't think derivative is bad necessarily, mm. but I like when games will do like A from from this game meets B from this game, like yeah. uh, like Hyper Light Drifter is kind of like Zelda meets Fez or something like that. I feel like it brings enough that's original to the table to yeah. not feel like a Hotline Miami knockoff. I mean, the perspective is different. The time-shifting powers add a lot. It does very that's clearly true. borrow really heavily, but I think, you know, this kind of sort of created a genre unto itself. Like, there's there's no other game quite like Hotline Miami, and then this comes along and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, another game that's sort of like Hotline Miami. That That's a game that should be imitated. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's derivative. To me, it just feels like another dev- Devolver uh, digital game. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if that's a negative thing to say, but it just seems like a game that's kind of in its wheelhouse, where it's like kind of quirky and there's like this like very unique gameplay hitch to it. But it, it feels like one of those games. Like I understand like where it can look as derivative. Like to me, there's even like some parts of it, like when, like when playing the messenger, like I was like, okay, I see kind of like seeds of that. Like they kind of all run in that same kind of space. But it, mm-hmm. some of this, like I said, some of the dialogue stuff, like where it kind of feels like a light novel at some point, it enables me to balance it out. So it's not, it doesn't feel mm-hmm. as like stuck in the mud as it could be. Yeah, I also feel like Hotline Miami when you get up there in the levels, like the difficulty is just insane in every level. It really becomes more of a puzzle of, of which, which way should I approach, you know, these rooms in order to clear out the guys so that I don't attract attention. And there is definitely some of that in Katana zero, but there were levels in Katana zero that I was able to kind of one shot and I didn't need to continuously play through or plot things out because it almost felt like certain times it, there was some skill. And like Michael said, that the time slowing thing really does help you out of there where if your reflexes are good enough, you can kind of get through things. And so it was, it definitely felt inspired by Hotline Miami. And even with kind of the weird, you know, in, scenes in between the missions and all that stuff. But but I think inspiration is okay. Like you said, it, there is the fine line that when inspiration becomes derivative. And, and I think I think they, they rode that line very well and, and they managed to carve out their own thing. Well, so- yeah, you know, I will say that uh, I enjoyed it a lot more than Hot- I, I liked mm-hmm. Hotline Miami. But I got, I think I hit a, a threshold where I just got super frustrated. And that that game even more so I, I got to the end and I was like one this doesn't I, I guess it wasn't the real ending um, mm-hmm. but it just kind of felt because isn't there like a second and I don't want to yeah, get hung up on Hotline in, in Miami, Miami yeah, but yeah. And this just felt more satisfying and a, a little nicer and I also thought the, the the art was better Hotline Miami sometimes your character you it just feels so much more brutal and you feel le- more monstrous and less human whereas mm-hmm. Zero to me even though he is psychotic he feels more human I think his attachment to the little girl that, that appears midway through the game and, and mm-hmm. some of the, some of the other things like his responses to some of the boss enemies or other enemies like calling them monsters it's like no this guy is still kind of human you're fucking subhuman i was i was able to identify more with zero than the lead in hotline Miami. yeah Mm, yeah yeah. i still feel like i need a shower after i play this but (laughs) i don't feel like i've (laughs) sold my soul (laughs) (laughs) yeah it definitely has that 
there's a lot of drug things going on in this game too with the effects where it's just like you kind of got to take a break and be like okay i need to now center myself and get back into reality because this especially when it's playing around with time and chronos itself the drug is just like it it fucks it fucks his life up you know and and yeah Yeah. you you feel a little weird it's not just him it's just it's like the other soldiers like the thing that got me like this guy was like it was a fun game playing but it's like this one scene like kind of halfway to the game where you like see somebody else who had like who was a soldier like who's like tweaking out on chronos Mm -hmm. and it's just like what the fuck and then like his whole thing of like we got fucked over and what do you like just like knowing that there's a whole other world like it that was the great thing about that world that it felt really like lived in and you see like the Mm -hmm. ramifications of of Kronos and this war Kronos on being everyday the, the people, drug on. the, dr- yeah, the, the drug, time, the right? Time drug, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There are also shades of like Firefly, and they're like sometimes you felt like a brown coat, like you, you felt like you were on the wrong side of the war, and now mm-hmm. we're trying to live in the society that had kind of well. Moved past also, war. like what the enemies are like. You're one of those fucking Cro-Mags. Like, yeah. what the fuck is a Cro-Mag? <laughs> like a Cro-Magnon? <laughs> like a an earlier iteration of Homo Sapiens? What? <laughs> I, what I really wish would happen is there were so many really cool characters that you barely got to spend any time with in the other Null program people, like the mm-hmm. other boss characters. Like, yeah. can they just pull like a Shovel Knight and have me play through campaigns as each one of those? Because I'd be mm-hmm. fine with that. Yeah, I mean, as long oh, as we've, I, we've I, been getting spoilery, there is that one boss fight against the other one who's like exactly the same as you are. And so like technically they're they're plotting out the the fight at the same time mm-hmm. that you are. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's like, well, who's going to get the upper hand here? The only way to get the upper hand is to surprise the other person somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Repeatedly. Because you can die in one hit, but they don't. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. it's, a, it's Katana Zero is a fantastic game, but we should probably move along to... Number five. Thanks for the help. But who are you people? My name is Seer Junda. And this is my captain, Priest Rytus. How you doing? Yeah, the man is my ship, but you better pay attention to this lady here. So, who are you? Cal Kestis. Oh, everybody hates Cal Kestis, but everybody loves this game. What is it? Fallen Order Jedi Star Wars. It, yes, in that yes, order. Yes, some, some combination of those, of those words, exactly. I never remember which. I think you said those words in a fallen order, Chris. Hey. Uh, <laughs> who is joining us for this segment? Chris Baker. Your old Chris, uh, Chris Baker, friend of the show, thank you, and other friend of the show <laughs> and previous guest earlier this year, it's Carolyn Pettit, veteran games journalist and all-around games commentator. Star, star, would you say Star Wars liker? Um, uh, I mean, yes, but but with reservations. Like, I'm not <laughs> some diehard Star Wars fan, but I grew up with Star Wars, and I, I mm. certainly I have an affection for Star Wars. Yes. Isn't that right. odd? I was I was on a date recently, and she's like, "Are you a Star Wars fan?" I'm like, "Don't lump me in with those people." I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now, because right now you ask that, and it raises the specter of like the Last Jedi, and like, yeah. well, because there's the whole like, well, where do you fall on the Last Jedi, and and all this debate about, well, you know, I, I tweeted recently, like, uh, the way you know who a true Star Wars fan is that they ha- is that they love all the same Star Wars shit that you love, and they hate all the same Star Wars shit that you hate, right? There's a lot of like, well, if you. <laughs> Don't recognize that The Last Jedi as complete cinematic failure. You're not a real Star Wars fan. Or if you think The Last Jedi is a complete cinematic failure, 
you you don't understand Star Wars. You're not a true Star Wars fan. So, well, anyway. Carolyn, since you ask where I fall on the Last Jedi, I fall on my own sword to escape that conversation. <laughs> That's a good. Chris, I That's feel like philosophy. you're moving up because wasn't a date earlier in the year that was asking you about the Sonic movie trailer. So right. it can only get better from here. Yeah. Are you yeah, a Sonic yeah. fan? Because I can't date someone who isn't who doesn't understand <laughs> the intricacies of the relationship between Sonic and Princess Acorn specifically. Well, I, I now, wonder. I wonder what people what the read is on this game. Mostly positive from critics and players, but there is something I tend to love it because there is something very nostalgic about it. Mm. It's it's like playing a solid PS2 license game of a movie that's really good. <laughs> I feel like the the sentiment toward this game is almost universally positive. It's it's very overwhelmingly positive. And when I asked you guys which games you wanted to do, almost everyone I asked wanted to do this. Well, well, I wanted to really quickly touch on Seabake. Uh, you have some pretty substantial Star Wars bona fides, don't you? Uh, well, I, I worked at LucasArts for th- about three years in, in PR. You know, I work at Zen Studios now. We have uh, Star Wars Pinball, which uh, I don't really personally personally have much to do with but i have written some material for it and whatnot and back in my old uh, playstation magazine days i used to review star wars games so <laughs> bounty hunter uh the clone wars stuff like that star wars games as you you well know can be all over the place yeah and, and just yeah. but we just haven't had enough or many to judge oh I, I do also have a collection of almost every single star wars game ever made which is a hundred and something so mm. I guess I mean, that's I, some sort of credential. <laughs> I think what's kind of interesting about this, though, as a game, like in terms of its gameplay. So when I think of Star Wars as a media property, and I think The Mandalorian right now is really, really emphasizing this, mm-hmm. is that Star Wars is a media property that just totally rips off like Westerns and samurai uh-huh. Uh-huh. stuff. Yeah. It's just yeah. this hodgepodge of like cinematic myths. And, and, and as a gameplay experience, Jedi Fallen Order is the hodgepodge of like the Souls games and Uncharted. It's one of those games where the influences, like the things that it's ripping off and jamming into its own framework are just like so, so apparent. And, you know, but that's Mm. kind of like, okay, because I mean, it's not trying to like mask what it's doing. It's 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 very it's just it's very like forthright about the ways yeah. in which it's lifting from these other sources. Well, normally we would criticize the game for doing that. I would just say this game does it extremely well, and so you can't you know at the, the end of the day you're like, well, yes, I know that it's it's ripping even like the Tomb Raider reboot and the Uncharted games and Dark Souls and all these things you mentioned, but it's still super fun. It's still a, a finely crafted game, so. Sure, why not? I'm along yeah. for the ride. It is the worst sliding game I've ever played. Oh, God. This, there's one part <laughs> where I was sliding, and then it there's like a bunch of like bouncy pads also, and it's like, this is putting me through a 3D Sonic level. Yeah. This is, <laughs> this is kind the of. game I've wow. been playing for the last 20 hours. <laughs> I'm at that yeah, that, those too. really felt out of place, but, you know, it didn't really bug me because they mm-hmm. weren't really that hard, and, you know, you weren't really punished that terribly whenever you, you fell. It's funny, yeah. you get... You, there's really no ramifications for falling in any way whatsoever. There's like a tiny no. silver pelt you'll lose. I, w- I would only say there was one point in the game. I was backtracking through an area I'd been through and had no struggle with. And I just hit the wrong thing, slid off course, and it respawned me. Right? Mm. But I couldn't do anything to from where it spawned me to correct my steering. Oh, there, was, there was no oh, way. No. There was no way, and so since it's a Souls game, I, I had to keep using a stim while sliding, which thank God you can do. I went through all of them, trying oh, wow. to get trying to get through this, and then just lost. I don't know how to say it. My souls 
in mm-hmm. they were they spawned mid air above the slide, unreachable. Uh, I lost. Wow. I know what happened. We, we talk. It's a Sonic game. You hadn't learned the four spin dash attack yet. Is all that uh, happened? I don't know what it was. It was infuriating, but it, it you know it was like it was a bright bad moment in a sea of pretty good stuff. Like mm-hmm. otherwise, I, I just wanted to bring that up for me. Mm-hmm. Like what? Because I mean, if it were if this were just the game, I mean, as as much as I think the way this game combines its gameplay elements you know works i think and i think that stuff is sort of fine like for me without the narrative this probably wouldn't quite be among my favorite games of the year but i really do think it for me personally like the way that like star wars is something that that offers a whole range of tones that a, a, a property a film a tv show a game can can strike and i really like the kind of where this lands in the range of star wars tones like a little on the gritty or grungier side. I love that it starts off with this, like the real working class grunginess of the scrappers. I like that it leans into the, the Imperials as like space Nazis, you know, with stuff like on, uh, I think it's Zepho where there's like the, the notices plastered on the villagers domiciles and things like that. And, and as a friend of mine pointed out, like there's something about the aesthetic of Imperial stuff, like dating back to the interior of the Death Star in the original Star Wars movie, that when you see it in a foreign environment, like you so often do in this game, it, you really feel like the Imperial, the the Empire are colonizers. Like you feel their presence as colonizers in mm-hmm. these in these places. And then woven through all that, I think that the themes this game works throughout like with Cal's grief about his master Jero Tapal and Sears trauma around Trilla and like how they both have to kind of forgive themselves for their past failures or for hurting others inadvertently in the past like that stuff really worked for me I liked that the game was actually concerned with with trauma in in that way and I thought it actually was kind of thoughtful about it yeah, I don't. I'm assuming the woman who plays Sarah is it Sarah? Seer. 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 So, yeah, Seer. I think, or I feel like her name is pronounced a few different ways by different actors. Yeah, yeah. Times in I the think game, they, but... there wasn't really a strong guide on how to pronounce that. Her yeah. mo her mocap or just like capturing is like it, it is one of the most effective visual performances in a face. Yeah, I've seen in a she's while. great. She yeah, is and great. That, that actress has been in a couple. She was in Wolfenstein: Youngblood, and and I think really? Wolfenstein: The New Colossus. Well, she's she's like an alumnus of Mad TV. I'm blinking on her name. But. Oh shit, no, hmm. uh, Nicole, not Nicole. Um, she played Oprah. Oh okay. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I know, I know that, but yeah, but in, in the game, she looks like this combination of like the the narrator of the Carmen San Diego TV show and Doc Brown, just like mm. constantly in a state of shock. Right, <laughs> right, and, yeah. And, and, I, and it's it, yeah, and like, and she's like, she constantly sounds like she's in pain. And you're right, like it's like the Mandalorian, like the story's strong enough to keep me going, even though at I feel like at some point I'm going to get bored, but I haven't yet because mm. I'm not done. Did anyone never, uh, feel like? Did anyone feel like Seer was basically Last Jedi Luke? Huh. Uh, I mean, yeah. uh, it's mildly spoilery to get into that, I guess. Uh, you find out about maybe 10, 20% into the game, uh, you know, what she has done with the Force and, uh, oh. you know, why that happened. Uh, it feels very Last Jedi Luke to me, which, you know, I, I don't see as a bad thing. It's just uh, I found it really interesting, you know, given the way people reacted to that. Yeah, did they actually in Last Jedi? I don't. Did they ever explicitly say that he was 
doing it because well okay so spoiler alert and if you don't want to hear spoilers for this game why are you listening to this um but yeah hear what our games of the year are man (laughs) she she closes herself off to the force right yeah and that's exactly what luke did because Mm -hmm. of you know what happened with an apprentice of his so it's Mm-hmm. Pretty spot on there, actually. Well, as as much as people like this game and the characters, I feel like I've seen a lot of complaints about Cal Kestis himself, that he's he's just this very boring, white-bred, ginger Jedi dude who's like, yeah, he's kind of bland, but I, I collected uh, a bunch of comments and created a dramatic reading sound effect. Ooh. Here we go. Fuck you, Cal Kestis. Fuck you, Kestis. Fuck off, Kestis. Shut the fuck up, Kestis. Worse than Hitler, Kestis. Call it Hell Kestis. Hell Kestis. Fuck off, Kestis. Kestis. Fuck off, Kestis. Kestis, you fucking suck. Eat dick, Cal Kestis. Sick son of a bitch. Lightsaber right here. Shit, Kestis. Oh, Kestis. Fuck you. The audience Epic. is now stupid. <laughs> the audience is listening. <laughs> wow. See, that's that, that's the thing. I think he's bland as hell, but he has he has a face like he should be a bully in a Christmas story. Yeah. Like, he, <laughs> it does have a little bit of that Scott Farkas look. Yeah, he just well, looks like the Joker, face, you know. I I know he's from the Gotham, but yeah, he, yeah. he just has that face of someone who looks like an asshole. <laughs> I might have one too. I don't know. Yeah, I I kind of I found him kind of bland at the beginning, but I really did come to like him yeah. you know in the same way and like he's, he's kyle kind of Katarn or somebody like that yeah yeah he's kind of redeemed also by his uh, relationship with bd1 oh, bd help please stim bd you mean his his drug dealer enabler yes, bd1 yes. <laughs> his his droid that is full of drugs bd1 <laughs> there was a period where i totally forgot that i had that capability and it made the really? game a whole lot harder huh. wow <laughs> Yeah, I can see how it would. Uh, yeah. <laughs> On our recent Video Game Apocalypse, we, we named BD one of our favorite new game characters of the year. And man, I just got to say, that was right before he... He wasn't just a favorite, but he proved to be a little more important than I... Than, than I I'm not spoiling. I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. But like, There's uh, a very I, vital shock. I don't think that's spoiling too much that he provides at one point. And it's yeah, like, and it was it was just yeah. so nice after, I, like, I already liked you, man. Now I really like you. <laughs> this is so cool. Um, my, yeah, one of my like, favorite things to do in the game is to have him take over droids yeah. and have them fight oh, yeah, on yeah, your yeah. side. Mm. Was, he can take over, like, those K2s, which is like... Yeah. Yeah, there, uh, there's a whole room full of them at one point, and I just yes. had like a whole boxing mat, like a whole battle royale going on in there. Actually, Chris, you <laughs> might be point. the person to ask. We were wondering... How come everyone in the Star Wars universe, A, knows Droid Repair 101, and B, they can speak to droids, and yet droids sound different when they speak at each other? What's what's going on there? I think that's like asking why you would actually use an AT-AT as your primary attack uh, <laughs> tank thing when it's they're small, more practical. It takes forever to turn. Uh, it's cool. <laughs> that you know, moment like, that moment with the adats is like that yeah. is so beautiful and like you're just kind of swimming up to that vine covered one as it's uh marching toward the yeah. the, the partisans or whatever they're called. Yeah, it's, I think this game does an amazing uh, job of just taking all the things from Star Wars prequels and the or the original trilogy, combining them and presenting them in new ways that feel new but they're very familiar. Uh, in the case of the Adath, it's you know you're climbing one that's covered in in moss, and you're going inside of it. I don't know if we've ever done that in a game before. I don't think so. I, I, actually, same? that's a point I was just about to make. Is I feel like 
older Star Wars games, there was there were several kind of signature cool moments that they would allow you to recreate or to, to live out. But what I've noticed with the newer movies and even this game in particular, it's more fan servicey in that it's like it's stuff you always imagine and wish people would do in the movies. It kind of lets you explore more of yeah. that. Like it's not it's not so up its own ass and it's, it's not less so literal. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's it's like yeah, you, you can you can play around in this universe, and I, I, this game is like the ultimate fan service because of that. But it's not, it's never like feels like it's pandering. It's just like, oh yeah, there's got to be an ATAT scene, but the way it does it is is awesome, like you guys were saying. So I, I love that about it. Yeah, and I, I love what Baker brought up as 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 the idea of I I'm not a fan, I'm not a huge fan of the prequels, but I like what I, what I like about the Mandalorian and this game is how they elegantly acknowledge all types of canon and. I don't know anything about Forrest Whitaker's character. I mean, I know I know where he comes from, but like I think they've done a real good job in including him and his likeness and his voice in all these aspects of Star Wars. And I'm not familiar with the basis of his original appearance. It's in one of the cartoons, isn't it? Uh, originally, it was Clone Wars, and he has a you know he has a major role in Rogue One. Right, mm-hmm. right, I, yeah. I have to say though, I, I mean, I I, I really like Saw Gerrera, but I kind of think he gets done dirty a little bit in the sense that like. Like, there's a point where, you know, as you scan things all over the place and do force echoes and stuff, like, you find a dead stormtrooper, and Cal's reaction is like, like, whoa, Saw Gerrera savagely killed this stormtrooper. Yeah, he's, he's so better, ruthless. Yeah, like, I better not get on his bad side. Like, as you, Cal, as, like, somebody who's just going around, like, yeah. just slaughtering <laughs> stormtroopers, he, he sees a stormtrooper <laughs> killed by Saw Gerrera, and he's like, whoa, that's effed up. Like... Do you know? And I feel like the the story that's Saw Gerrera's role in Star Wars in gen, like in Rogue One and this is to be that figure that we can point to and ask like, does Saw Gerrera go too far in trying to overthrow the Imperial oppressors? Like, no, whoa, what's, you know, it's it's not always okay to punch a stormtrooper, Saw Gerrera. Like, whoa, <laughs> you're going a little too far there. Yeah, uh, but uh, see, every every stormtrooper we kill in this game, it's okay because they're all really really bad. That's the that's difference. Right. Yeah. No, they kicked the puppy just before the fight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even the ones that are like, no, I don't want to die. But I, I do like that, like, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, and just to get a little bit spoilery, this game kind of dives into, like, okay, let's let's explore what happens when this huge, impenetrable institution, like the Jedi Order, gets torn apart and defamed and kind of scattered to the four winds. It's like they don't just automatically kill everyone like the the inquisitors that are after you are all former padawans and they have some interesting things to say you know i was a jedi it'd be fun to bring you in watch you crush like the rest of us oh angers you just wait till the isolation mutilation and your breath i won't let you touch them you can't stop the empire I can stop you. It's like it's like a 1984 thing where they are the previously rebellious, but it's like no, we're going to recondition you, and it's not that you'll necessarily be loyal to us. It's just that you will see any sort of escape or resistance as impossible. So you'd better do the best job you can, or we're going to torture you more. Yeah, I, I think that the game's relationship to power is actually 
pretty interesting because, I mean, like any game in which you level up and gain new abilities and get more life and so on, is to one degree or another something of a power fantasy. And Although I would say that the difficulty of your opponents in this game prevents it from being, like, too much of a power fantasy. You're not just going to run roughshod over, like, all the opposition in your path. But, you know, you do have that pleasure that comes from getting, like, stronger and getting new abilities and stuff. And yet the game does also... In the end, like, without getting too specific, you know, I think it does resolve itself in a way that maybe some players will find frustrating, but that I really liked. And how it handles the the acquisition of power for good people, for those who fancy themselves as the good guys, as well as the bad guys, right? Yeah. So it's hard. I I don't want to... I can't get too specific about it without really going into the ending, but um, I did appreciate... I I think its it's ending is, is... you know, yeah, it asks it asks questions. Yeah, you know, like uh, what is the right thing to do? I think. I don't yeah, think that's yeah, exactly. Too much. What well, is the right thing to do is a big theme of the game. Yeah. yeah, and and also I appreciate that, like uh, you know, as we said in an earlier episode, like you knew even before you started this game, it's like, well, we're not going to be able to rebuild the Jedi Order. That's not going to happen because right. it doesn't happen in the Star Wars canon. But I'm 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 glad that it ended the way that it did. I guess. It could have been much more just like, eh, fuck yeah, and I think it, the way it is, I like how cagey we're being here, but I think the way it ends opens the door to some interesting things that could happen in sequels and such. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm I'm a little, and, and again, mild spoilers for a character who shows up late in the game. I was a little dismayed to find that female Zabrax apparently don't have the Darth Maul horns, but instead look exactly like Elena Fisher from Uncharted. Exactly! <laughs> I, I was most disappointed that for some reason, as good as the game looks, they're the worst looking. It has the worst looking Wookies I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it they... looks like they're covered in spaghetti <laughs> or like retired snipers. Well, like I just said, like well, they're probably emaciated from having been in captivity for so long. So they, yeah, they it's shouldn't... been rough since the Clone yeah, Wars, man. Exactly. It's been rough. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> no, I agree. With you. I, I feel like they just had some like product in their fur. You know, like they threw some pomade in there because it's like all sticking together. Like it's yeah. dreading together. <laughs> oh, man. Well, they've been what re- refining Roshir sap or whatever. So there it they, is. They're, it's they're, the sap. They're the easiest yeah. thing to do from a game development perspective would have been to make up some odd excuse to have them all shaven Wookiees. Ooh. Oh, God. I don't want to see that at all. That'd be disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. With clothes. <laughs> oh, <ew. laughs> so it's just tall dudes with Wookiee masks. Yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would suck if they just look like us under all that fake. <laughs> <laughs> They're all just podcasters. Yeah. Just leave their oh, beards no. on uh-huh. and they need yeah. <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, God. Uh, that's probably a good place to end and move on. So what's next? Number four. Objects of power can cause or be results of AWE's altered world events, intrusions upon the perceived reality. Now, the service weapon is, of course, a prime example of an OOP, a very powerful one. Ingrained in the Bureau's DNA, a key component in our prime candidate program. Come out of that Russian roulette a winner and you, (laughs) you're it. As you're watching this video, your character is sitting with a gun pointed at her own head. What game is this? You down with OOP? Yeah, you know me. That's control, baby. Yeah. And who's joining us for this segment? 
Johnny Brandon from the Square Roots Podcast. And who else? I am interdimensional janitor Steve Guntley from the Ultra 64 <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> Thank you both for joining us to talk about Control, one of the most surreal games of the year, and I think the best, one of the best games that Remedy has made in a long time. I wasn't wasn't that oh, big yeah. of a fan would... of uh, Quantum Break, but this I absolutely loved. With with one of the best characters of the year as well, Ati, who you were just referencing. Ati the janitor is mm-hmm. so awesome. I don't know what it is. So weird. He's I'm so glad weird. the subtitles were on I... for him. I did not understand a word out of his mouth. But <laughs> He's, he was awesome. He is extremely Finnish. Well done. Yes. Yes. You got the job. <laughs> it's place for congratulations. Yippee, Sadama. Ah, so... So enthusiastic and speaks in so many weird idioms. We need to get you working. Very small couple of hours chop. Something tells me it's going to be more than that. You think there's a dog buried in this? I can tell you are not yesterday's grouse's son. That's why you're made a great (laughs) assistant. Not yesterday's grouse's son. I, I looked yes. up like what what it means. Like you think there's a dog buried in this? It's it's a I guess a Swedish expression saying like something's not right here. Someone's trying to hide something. So, yes, so I've, I've heard like a lot of the sayings he says are authentic like Finnish mm-hmm. idioms. Like yeah, he, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he is so good, and he enables one of the best moments all year in gaming. I, that's all I'm going to say. He he is the enabler of this slice of awesome that lasts several minutes it's so good oh you like fighting the clog that much wrong (laughs) no that thing is weird and sucks (laughs) but no those of us who played all the way through the game know what i'm talking about like we talk a lot about games nailing like a twin peaks aesthetic but Mm -hmm. this game maybe only next to deadly premonition this game might do it the best out of these things possibly Um, even as well as link's awakening (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> the shooting in here, though, if you're only shooting, you're kind of doing it wrong. Because the, the beauty of the combat in this game is all the fun powers. That, yeah, you, that they you also you. have to pull up things psychically and throw them at people, like so. love the sound design in this oh yeah oh, yeah oh, yeah and if you're playing the combat right it's it becomes this nice little rhythm and dance of you basically fire off your service what service revolver i think is what they call it or the, the service the weapon, service weapon yeah, yeah service weapon. until you run out of ammo and then you switch over to just like the physics throwing shit at people until you run out of energy and then and then repeat ad nauseum yeah. by that point your ammo will have recharged and so yes exactly and then you might want to change forms because the service weapons really i love what they did there with like how you can change forms on the fly and even the mod systems for it. And basically, I think you start with like a pistol form. Mm-hmm. And one of the first ones you can unlock is like a shotgun version. And then there's like a machine gun. And once I got the, I think spin is the machine gun. Once I got that, I almost never switched to anything else the rest of the game. Because spin, if you upgrade spin, it's awesome. Just stick with spin. Yeah, I feel like the, the issue with the combat, to me, it always felt like, it, it felt like you took an inconsistent amount of damage from uh, uh, encounter to encounter. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. really you, you were never quite sure what was going to kill you. Yes, but exactly. When you when you're really fully upgraded and you're getting into the flow of it, it just feels like nothing else. Like you're pulling chunks of gravel like out of the walls and out of the floor. You're building a shield and then chucking a guy across the mm. wall. It just feels so sad. You feel as powerful as the game wants you to think you are. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
it's incredibly satisfying. One thing I really do appreciate about the, the use of the powers, especially the telekinesis, is that you, like this, this leads to a little bit of inaccuracy if you're trying to specifically pick up an explosive. But the, yes. you don't, you don't have to look at the things you're grabbing. Like you just hold down the button, and you will grab something out of the environment. So you don't, you don't have to stop and aim. It's like, okay, what's the thing I can pick up, and then deliberately pick it up and get shot at a bunch of times while you're doing this. But that can result in frustration because there are a lot of times where it will just grab the closest thing to you, which mm-hmm. isn't the thing you intended, and the reticle can kind of move very quickly. Like so, that it does put like a little outline around the thing that it's going to pick up, but right. that can very quickly move. And so there's some puzzles in this game where you have to like pick up a battery and throw it at like a thing yeah, on the yeah, wall. Yeah. But also like in the middle of combat, like I'm just what I intend to pick up and throw is whatever will do damage to my enemies. So. Yes, but later in the game, it really does pay. There's a skill you can get where you can pick up their grenades midair and fire them back at them. Uh-huh. And so that's frustrating when you're trying to time that perfectly and it ends up picking up picking up a chunk of the floor and then their great grenade still lands at your feet right, and explodes, yeah. killing you. And so that can cause a little frustration. But again, it's it's very you can it's easy to overlook because everything else is so strong with this game and it's it it does steve nailed it though it does feel i think my my biggest complaint is it's sort of inconsistent from encounter to encounter you're like well wait why was that one so easy and then the next one was so hard and i think it really just does have to do with a lot with what what the physics are placing around you at any given you know time with the combat i had a uh, galaxy brain moment about this game yesterday okay where I realized it's basically PsyOps, the MindGate conspiracy yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, it really is. But, but this but time... The, this, a much better story. Yeah, the sinister government agency is on your side. Like, yes. That, that's one thing that really struck me about it early on. So if you're, if you're not familiar with the plot of Control, a young woman named Jessie tracks down this, this secretive government agency that she's been hunting for. She finds their headquarters and somehow gets led inside to the director's office where she sees that a director's committed suicide. And so she picks up his gun and it adopts her as the new director of the agency. And yep. it, it suddenly becomes like, here's this shadowy thing that no one's supposed to know about. And it is the most friendly, warm, welcoming thing that you've ever <laughs> seen. Everyone's yeah. just super happy to see you at any given time. And the weird part is everybody is already on the same page about your authority. Can't tell you how happy I am to talk to somebody sane. The feeling's mutual. I'm Pope, Emily Pope, Dr. Darling's assistant. My turn. Should I lie? Jesse Faden. I'm just visiting. I should have lied. Oh, shit. You're the new director. Yeah, we all know this. Sorry, go ahead. I'm glossing no, over stuff. But, but some, some of the stuff that you, you did maybe miss in there, it, and one of the reasons I kept playing is like, so you like you said, she just stumbles upon this 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 Federal Bureau uh, of Control, and you don't know how. And then she starts talking and having this internal monologue, but then mm-hmm. you find out it's it's you don't know who she's talking to. And sometimes it feels like she's talking directly to you, the player. That's um, what and I so, thought. And so you're trying to uncover, like, well, who is she talking to? It almost seems, it, it becomes almost like a beyond moment where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe there's like the spirit that accompanies her. Or beyond two souls, please. Yeah. yeah. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and, and then, but that director, like, as soon as you pick up his gun, you start to see visions of him. And he's like basically talking to you from the great beyond. And you're trying to figure out, like, 
what's going on. And then they very quickly introduce you to the board, mm-hmm. which are these people that just randomly talk to you. And it always sounds very muffled and through phones and yeah, they, they kind of have double speak and the, su- the subtitles say like two different things every time they talk. It's not even clear if they're people at all or if they're some sort of extra dimensional beings or. Yeah. yeah. But whenever you hear them, you're in like uh, the astral plane and they're usually giving you a cool ass power. Mm-hmm. And so it's, yeah, it's uh, it, yeah. there's so much stuff though that within the first, I'd say 15 minutes of the game that they're like, it's like okay, I got to play through the rest of this mm-hmm. thing because I am it's so compelling and so weird. Yeah, I love the the variables in their subtitles, like that they refer to the service weapon as the gun slash sword slash intentionally left blank. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Every every time they talk, there's like two or three options per subtitle, and it's so cool because you, you do hear multiple voices speaking, and so mm-hmm. it's. It's. I think what it's meant to reflect is they are supposed to be these multi-dimensional beings, and so it's like it's like you're talking to people from three dimensions at one time. Mm. And I, I love. I think kind of going back to like how friendly all the staff is. It it almost feels like they understand just how unknowable all of this stuff they're dealing with is, and they might know it a little better, but they're uh-huh. still kind of uh, uh, babes in the dark with a lot of it. So they're just kind of they, they feel a little humbled, I guess, mm-hmm. in front of what they're studying. And yeah. that that really helps heighten the atmosphere a little bit. It makes well. They like- also they did they do a great job establishing like things at the bureau are very quick to change, and so they're very used to just weird shit. Like there's all <clears throat> so it's a remedy game, and, and remedy's really good at environmental storytelling. And there's like little like recordings you'll find throughout, or little posters on the wall that's like. If you're if if the door to your office is no longer there, you might be experiencing this weird shift event. Just find the nearest safe room and wait it out. And it's just like so you can tell these people are just used to dealing with weirdness. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I really want to shout out the level designer in this game because yes. man, they they took something that I never wanted to see again in a shooting game, which is a corporate office building, and they turned this this banal gray thing into this towering like menacing. Thing. Like the building is a character in itself. Oh, yeah. It feels like it's always yeah. changing. It's jutting out at all these arcane angles that are just impossible and uh, constantly shifting, co- constantly keeping you on your toes. I think they really like knocked that out of the park. And it's easy to navigate too. I had no problem yeah. finding my way around. No, yeah. the, the oldest house is fascinating. And I love, love, love the like 1960s, the mid century brutalist architecture inside. Like, this reminds me of my hometown's library. It's, it's just something about like <laughs> yeah, these, yeah. these big vaulted ceilings with like these drop down uh, atrium things, and it's like just all these these rigid right angles and concrete structures. It's like this is actually really cool. But then when they blend it with, I think it is it called Euclidean geometry when it starts to yeah. shift and bend all around you, and it's mm-hmm. like this really cool juxtaposition of that brutalism with oh shit, they're doing things in the design and with the special effects in the game that I've never seen anyone do in a game. Yeah, the hiss affect the architecture around you, the hiss or the enemies. Yes, yes. There's a Wes Anderson style to a lot of the kind of the huh. se- 60s, 70s fonts and design choices with the films. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I grew up in Quebec, so I got a lot of uh, European kid shows when, huh. I was, when I was a, a little kid, like so early 80s. Okay. And there was one called... Puck et Pic, I think. It was like this weird France, no dialogue, stop motion show. And Threshold Kids reminds me so much <laughs> of that. Threshold Kids wow. is so weird. Yeah, Threshold Kids. That's such a remedy thing, too. Yes. Well, yeah, they're, they're, 
they are really good at having those like in-game TV shows and in-game radio yeah. shows and stuff. And, and all yeah, like live action everywhere. too. So it just kind of heightens the yeah. surreal surreality of it. Yeah. When we heard one of the fam- one of my favorite characters of the year and one of the live action people is Dr. Darling. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you see he's him so throughout good. the game and he's he's basically the guy that you're kind of chasing. He's, he's kind of a MacGuffin, right? You're chasing him most of the game to try to catch up with him. Mm-hmm. And you just see these live action videos and the actor... I want to say his name. His name is Matt. Something he got nominated for a game award. He he does such a great job in those cutscenes. Like, isn't that Sam Lake? Mm, I, don't I don't think, think so. so. Oh, okay. No. Sam Lake plays. It was if Sam Lake is is Max Payne, he's the director. Oh, mm. that's right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Sam Lake. Interesting. You since you bring up Sam Lake, Sam Lake also uh, lent his face, but I don't think his voice to a character in Death Stranding. Uh, big surprise. Oh. Everybody seemed to this year. There's a bunch of celebrity and game industry cameos in that game. What I didn't realize until very recently, and you know, this might be a mild spoiler, is that there's a Hideo Kojima uh, cameo in Control. Mm-hmm. And I have a clip. What? Yeah, let's do it. Close your eyes, open your mind, and find yourself on an empty beach. Again with the beaches. <laughs> Look, dude, even even in Japanese, if someone has to say trust me or trust my words mm-hmm. before they're about to say something, yeah. you do not trust that person. <laughs> no. <laughs> this was a game of so many just incredible moments, though. And not just the mm-hmm. I mean, that maze is the one of the best moments of any game I've played in years, mm-hmm. like literal years. But like the mirror fight, that yes, was... That, oh, that yeah, was the, when yeah, I talk yeah. about the, the side stuff that's hard, the mirror fight is one of the hardest fights, one of the hardest boss fights in recent memory in any game, but it's, it's insane. Yeah, and the and was, the puzzle, the puzzle to find out how to get in there and stuff, it's that's really that's really well done. Dang, and the tricky. the whole clock area with the anchor spitting out clocks at you. Yeah, that was, oh, that was yeah. pretty cool, oh. too. And you're just wading through clocks, yeah. Yes. <laughs> made me think of the dumb pull, but it made me think of the Futurama episode where they go back in time and, oh, we've taken on a lot of clocks. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say, <laughs> is it the anchor or there, there's another object of power that it kind of goes off in the distance and spins the hallway as it's fading off into yes. the distance. And then you you start, cause I think by that time you have levitate, you're just floating through this crazy geometry of stuff that just looks like it's, it's going off into infinity of this like twisting hallway. You know, it's, it's really cool. It's some like Alice yeah, I, in Wonderland Mysterio. I've shit. been there. I can't remember what point of the game that was in. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, I don't want to give too much away, but it's, it's, you see a little bit of that stuff very early in the game anyway mm-hmm. in that like astral plane stuff but that's that is the kind of stuff that this game does that i keep telling people like no you really need to play this game just to see that stuff because it does to me feel like the future like more games should do this stuff like like when when i saw the most recent spider-man movie was that far from home the yeah. Mysterio scenes. I'm like, see, this is the kind of shit video games should do more because that's what they can do. They can render stuff on the fly. And when you turn around, a completely new world can be there and all that stuff because that's kind of how games work. 
And but most games don't really do that. They don't they don't fuck with you that much. Whereas this game completely does, and it's and it's so awesome yeah. every time actually, it does it. You know what? All those re- little hotel puzzles. And, yeah. yeah, those are mm-hmm. you, know, mm-hmm. you know what this reminded me of? Actually, getting into the backstory, the things that you find to read that describe all these incidents. It kind of has a Welcome to Night Vale vibe to it, where it's just like mm-hmm. there are all yeah. these strange things going on, and we just accept them and record them. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a spoiler to say that it incorporates other remedy games into the fiction? I th- no, I, I mean I've seen enough articles talking about that where mm. we don't have to say exactly how, but they they basically do say that oh that this is a reference that reminded us of this in this other remedy game. So mm. yes, right. yeah, two at uh, least this... two different remedy series are incorporated. Huh? Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I think the word I think of when I think of this game is just confidence and that's not something i would associate with other remedy games but they really felt like they were in control of their craft here from the oh, see what you like, did there see what yeah. you did there <laughs> oh god oh yep i didn't even know i did it there but yeah i'm gonna pretend that's intentional Woohoo! and also jesse is dynamite she is yes oh, yeah i, I had so that good. That song stuck in my head for like two solid days. Yeah, thanks for that <laughs> asshole. <laughs> well, I didn't. I didn't even looking like dynamite. I didn't even post the catchier version of that by the the glam rock the mud. Yeah, the from nineteen seventy three. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. Really. Really. Uh, excellent performance from Courtney Hope. I'd never. I wasn't familiar with her, but uh, you know, she's like a. a Television actress mostly, but I think she was in Quantum Break as well. Oh. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's she's just was really that is that her likeness as well? Like, is, was was yeah. Jesse? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's what she looks like. Yeah, yeah, just really, really well done, and really, just even like yeah, the little internal dialogue stuff she was doing. It's like she, the voice acting sounded. It's it was just sounded very grounded and real. You know, it's like oh okay, even though it's in such a surreal setting, right? It's like what the hell is going on here? Yeah. You know. Yeah, right. good yeah. stuff. Control, good stuff. fantastic. Clearly one of our top ten games of the year. But is it as good as... Number three. We're lifting off from Timber Hearth. What game is this? Outer Wilds, no the. Yeah, not the Outer Worlds, but Outer yeah. Wilds. Not Gears of War 5, that wasn't even a nomination. No. I mean, it got nominated, just nobody voted for it. So. Outer Wilds, the surprise hit of the year? Is it fair yeah. to call it that? I think so. I mean, it surprised us. We we put it in a list of games that caught us by surprise, and then everybody's like, we knew about this years ago. I'm elevating it because... Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what Brett's status is with VG Empire, but this is like my favorite soundtrack hmm. of the year. Well, just oh, that, yeah, that, uh, that's, that's that song, that, that intro song. Yeah, the banjo alone is just unforgettable. Where's a bottle? I need a bottle. We need to start singing along. Forget who it was on Twitter who said, like, Outer Wilds is just the promise of the phalanx box art realized. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) what it is. The old man with the banjo and the ships rocketing past him. Yeah. With the music, it's it's not just that that one intro song. It's there's variations of it that you, you you start to hear that melody interwoven even when it's like little 
there's whenever you have a big discovery i've noticed they play it very softly but it's like a sad melancholy version of that mm. tune it's it's yeah. really subtle and and there's there's a it's a, there's a mild th- music theme running through the whole game mm-hmm. and i don't know it's kind of neat i loaded it up before we talked about this to show a completely unbiased party and, I, and the only thing i can think that even comes close to it is majora's mask but it is this, this oddly pleasant experience whereas majora's mask you know there's a lot of like action and shit to do and it can it, you know it has the same frustrations of what you consider from a core game and this is for the most part pretty relaxing yeah well so i i have to slightly disagree about one thing and it, it's something that majora's mask also did occasionally the one problem I have with this game is because, I mean, it's a, I guess it's a spoiler, but everything in this game is on a time loop. And there are certain things that you you have to get to in, I think it's like a 22-minute time loop, something like that. Yeah, something There's like so- that. Well, er- early on in, in the game, you have to, like your first task before you can go up into your launch tower and take off in your shiny new wood and metal ship is uh, you have to you go to the observatory and get the launch codes. And on the way to the observatory, you find this Nomai statue, this statue of like an ancient precursor race that died out thousands of years ago. And this has never happened to anyone else, but you walk up to it and it turns and looks at you. Something terrible and yeah. wonderful happens, and the, and I'm not gonna definitely not gonna spoil this. But when you learn later in the game what is actually going on there, mm. it is a very very cool bit of writing, cool moment. Um, real quick, I just wanted to finish the one point I had about this game with the time loops. I got frustrated at times because so this game is mostly relaxing except when you're fighting the controls. Uh, and particularly the space controls. It's one of those things where it's this weird exploration relaxation game. And all of a sudden they have this odd, there'll be like an odd platforming segment. Or I just did think one where I was sliding down ice slides. I thought I was playing Jedi Fallen Order. I'm sliding down ice slides <laughs> trying to avoid ghost matter, right? And I'm going, yeah, yeah, good luck and, and it's fine, but it's like there's... <laughs> Some of the funniest moments in this game, though, are produced from those controls. So I was telling you guys, I got an accidental achievement because I was just kind of like looking around and then I fell off an el- the elevator that's right near where you spawn and died within 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. And it popped that achievement for me. And I, there's a lot of really dumb deaths that can happen from like the physics in this game and the controls. But that's my only complaint is that sometimes those cons- I felt... Like I was, you know, it's only a 22 minute cycle and I felt like five or six of those minutes I was fighting with the stupid space controls. And I'm just like, can can we just get this a little easier? For those who haven't played Outer Wilds and like, what the hell are you talking about? Outer Wilds is a game where you are an astronaut, a member of a small but spacefaring species of aliens who like their entire civilization is based in the crater of a tiny planetoid. And you blast off and explore a solar system that is roughly 30 kilometers wide. Like, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's... It reminds me... It only reminds me of, like, if you've seen Moana. Like, a, yeah. <laughs> a small population that lives on an island that's, like, sort of trapped by water. But, uh-huh. uh, yeah, they slowly get off and move very, very slowly and 
Uh, yeah, a very yeah. I forget. Yeah, what else but like you can you can travel between planets in about thirty seconds just with the, your little weird lunar lander. You, you just blast off. You break free of your of each planet's gravity fairly easily, and then each of these planets is like a Hellraiser puzzle box. Like every single one of them in this solar system operates under completely different rules and has completely different like environmental puzzles for you to figure out. There might be one where like. Here's a water planet that is covered in tornadoes, and uh, there's a strange current that prevents you from going to the center of the planet where you can find a creepy beating heart. Or there's another one where it's two planets, and one of them is continually sucking sand from the other one. So mm -hmm. if you go and explore it, you might, if, if you get there quickly enough to the one that's sucking up the sand, you might discover a slowly filling underground city that has a bunch of cool stuff to discover. Or there's one with a bunch of giant monsters that will eat you if they if they hear you make a sound. Or Well, it, sometimes it's not even about rushing to a destination. You have to wait in the loop for something to happen that maybe happens late in the loops. And that, that does what that reminds me a lot of like Majora's Mask is you might yeah. need to wait later in the cycle where Oh, I don't know. Some, some, like you mentioned that sand thing. Oh, it, it mm. might have, might have now raised to a certain point where you can like reach something else or, yeah, or something like that. You know, there's a lot of a, those. A thing that you need to teleport to somewhere else or whatever. Yeah. There's a um, lot, lot of, there's a lot of like time puzzles, I guess mm -hmm. if yeah. we could call it that based around the, the time loop. Yeah, there are. But I, but I like the fact that like, okay, so we have this clockwork solar system. And it is always in motion and it will always do the same things. And you are free to explore it however you want and discover what it holds however you want. But you are constrained by one little thing. That's the wrap it up music. That's the wrap it up music telling you like, hey, you know, this thing that you were engrossed in, uh, you better finish it as quickly as possible because something's going to happen. That's going to reset everything. It's it's also one of the prettiest songs I've heard in a very long time. Like it's uh -huh. it's strangely relaxing and you just kind of give in to the inevitable. You're just like, yeah, ah, but here comes here but, comes. But if, if you're halfway through a puzzle that took you 20 minutes to get to, you're like, Fuck! yeah. Oh, that's the stress this game can absolutely cause, yeah. And then there are other times where you kind of will get done with a puzzle or exploring an area and be trapped there, and you just kind of try to find a way to kill yourself, or the, you can reset out of the mm -hmm. loop in, in the menus or something. There's, there's a few times that happens as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, most of the game is, is pretty chill. You are exploring these ancient structures that you find dotted across the worlds. Like, you know... Who left them? They're this, again, this ancient race called the Nomai that died out thousands of years ago. But you've got a translator that can thousands translate their stuff. Thousands of years ago. Thousands of years. And <laughs> you're discovering what happened to them. Where did they go? Why are they no longer around? And a lot of it is just kind of reading these strange spiraling texts that they left behind. Yeah. Yeah, I got a sound effect of the translation. <laughs> I love that. 
and it, yeah, I've never I've never known a translation effect to make me like to give me a Pavlovian response in a game before. But there you have it. Yeah, but yeah. There, there's so much mystery in this game, and it's so rewarding when you. Like, you just kind of start chasing down this random thing. It's like, okay, what's the deal with this building? How do I get in? Okay, I'm in. How do I... What What's the secret to this place? What's its significance? How does it connect to the rest of the solar system? And when you figure that stuff out, it's so rewarding, and it feels so yeah. cool. The puzzles are... Some of them are those puzzles like that I just love that it's been hiding in plain sight the entire game. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's definitely stuff that, like you see within the first one or two seconds of opening your eyes in the game that then plays into something you discover later on. And you're like, oh my God, that thing I've been seeing probably hundreds of times, not hundreds, but countless times at that point where all of a sudden it explains what that thing is you've been seeing. And you're like, this is so cool that they took the time and forethought to, to do all this stuff. Like, yeah. And I think that's why people really, really were, were loving this game is it's just like the sense of discovery and just it, we talk about how small the solar system is in the game, but I think it's 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 perfect in its size, and it, it is it, the game itself is like this perfect little small package of a game, you know, and it's exactly the size it needs to be, and they're able to cram so much into a relatively little amount of space, you know, and 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 it's to make a thirty kilometer solar system feel like a space exploration game is a big feat in and of itself, and some of the stuff I said it at the half year show. It's an indie game, but some of the stuff they're doing with like the calculations of trajectories of planets and orbits and stuff like that is some, and the fact that like your autopilot can kind of calculate where you need to be to land on a planet other than flying you through the sun half the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like that's a specific is, is actually, thing you you can talk to your mechanic and say like, hey, the autopilot flew me into the sun. It's like, well, you have to make sure you can see the thing that you're autopiloting yeah. too. Oh, sometimes, sometimes I would try to autopilot to a thing below the planet I was on. I would fly up like a hundred feet and then it would just shoot me straight down into the planet again. I'm like, Oh God. Mm. And then you get out and you have to fix your jalopy of a spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> like, did you, did you ever try to land on the sun station? Like there's a space station orbiting close to the sun. No, I, I just actually saw it. I was, I was flying by on a comet that was going around in the solar system As you and do. I'm like, Oh, Hey, there's, there's, there's a structure right near the sun. I should maybe go check that out soon. Yeah. I think you mentioned like, uh, you see things within like the first one or two seconds like that. The first thing that you see when you open your eyes, like you're looking straight up and you see this orbital cannon, like shattering uh, around another world. And like, that is like the one variable other than your actions that happen with every cycle of this, this uh, solar system that like the orbital cannon will shoot off in a different direction. It's randomized. And like, have you, have you ever tried to go and like chase after what it shoots out? No, I did it. I did it a couple times and I realized like, okay, this, I mean, it's neat that you can find it and catch up to it, but then you can't really do anything with it Mm. the other thing this game plays around with a bit that i wish more games did is it plays around around with quantum physics and really what it means is there's there's certain quantum objects in the game that you if you're looking at them they'll be in one spot and then if you turn around and then turn back around they'll they'll move and that actually plays into a lot of the puzzles but it's something that it's very cap- – video games are totally capable of doing that because they're just – usually they're just rendering what you see in your vision cone. You know, everything mm-hmm. outside of that it would be way too computationally uh, too difficult to do. And so they're only going to render what you look at. But it's this neat trick that you're just like – it feels like a magic trick. 
every time it happens and I'm like, this is so cool, you know, and they play around with that. Um, yeah, I, I just I, wish I still, I still get fucked with every time I fire it up and like, where did all the lights go? And it's because the planets are moving in real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And blotting yeah. out the sun and. Yeah, yeah it's just a, the little prince is what I was thinking of. It's yes, like yeah. yeah, it has a, a a very big little prince vibe. And, and I don't know if it's just me, but did you guys notice like the planets look a certain size when you're approaching them in the solar system, but then they are huge and just way bigger when you actually go to land on a planet and like explore underneath the planet, or do you think they actually mm. are all fitting within that size that you like flew up to? I, I know what you're talking about. I feel like there yeah. is some kind of magic trick there. I mean, it's it's hard to say. I think games like this, like you're flying between planets and there is clearly a transitionary phase where it's like, all right, this isn't, this probably isn't the same thing that I was just looking at. I've transitioned to another 3D world that is just somehow seamlessly connected to the, the larger world. But yeah, I don't know if they used trickery or if it's just that like, no, all of these things that you see are active at any given time and they are within this universe that you're exploring. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, the fact that we even don't know the answer to that. I mean, this game, mm-hmm. this game pulls off some really cool little tricks. Oh yeah, there, absolutely. So. But although I, I feel like like one of one of the worlds, like there's a guy on a hammock who gets tossed into the, into low orbit every so often. And it's like, if you hang yeah. out in low orbit, you can kind of see him. So maybe, Hmm. hmm. Yeah, that might play into a puzzle too. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I must confess, I have not. I've been chasing, trying to finish this game for the past like three days, and I'm very, very close right now. But I have not yet finished it. But it is something where I drifted away—no pun intended—from the space game for a little while. But it's something I'm definitely going to finish it probably after we're done recording right now because it's like I'm that close. And oh, nice. yeah, like Michael said, it's just it's so fulfilling when you're like figuring this stuff out and then you're kind of like leading up to that last little bit. Like most of my oh, we should also say like as you're uncovering the mystery, that kind of the way you know you're doing well is there's a computer thing in your in your spaceship that kind of keeps track of everything you've discovered. Right, mm-hmm. the game itself resets and is kind of roguelike in that matter, but the progress is saved and maintained on the ship's computer and mine is mostly filled out with just a few things saying there's more to discover here so i gotta poke around and discover stuff there and i will say this is sort of a spoiler only in that i consider like you should go into this eyes closed like you should know nothing about outer wilds going in we've already spoiled the shit out of it in that sense but i think if you like even if you like i finished the game And I think even if you know exactly what you need to do to finish the game, it is still difficult as hell to line up like, okay, now I I need to do this and then this and then this and then this. And like, I died so many times, like even knowing exactly what I had to do before it finally went through. And that's, that's my big problem with this game. That's, that's the only reason for me. It's not number one is if it's meant to be an exploration puzzle game, it's when you're fighting the controls and some of the platforming elements and all that mm-hmm. stuff where you're trying to race against the time. Well, it's no longer – it can be frustrating and not fun in those moments. Honestly, it was it was the things that lurk in Dark Bramble. <laughs> but Yeah, uh, those things suck. Yeah. No, I, I will just say this by way of spoiler slash hint uh, if you don't want to hear it. Skip ahead about 10 seconds. Your ship has an eject button. Look for it. That's all I'll say. There you go. Mm-hmm. 
But anyway, if you haven't played this, you you have no excuse. It's on Game Pass. Yeah, go, it's, go play it's on it right Game now. Pass. It's probably not that expensive otherwise. I, I think that's why I sort of wanted to champion it because I'm sure the developers made money, mm-hmm. but it went to Game Pass and to the Epic Store. My assumption is this game is not making money. It made money. Mm. And in order for things like this to be supported, I just really wanted to champion it around this time of year. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's weird to think about that, that right? Because like, there's a chance not a lot of people can buy it or are buying it because it's not an option. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, it's not an option for a majority of, of of PC players, and it's you don't have to pay for it if you have Game Pass. I, I mean, think it, it did come it, to it, PlayStation Four, didn't it? Epic Store, like, okay, that is available to the majority of PC gamers. Like, it's a free client; you right. just download uh, you, it. It's just but kind you of you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's a little bit of a pain if you're just totally invested in one publisher's ecosystem. Confirming it is on PlayStation Four, October fifteenth. It? It, oh, it yeah, yeah, sweet. And it's oh, okay. it's only it's only twenty five dollars. So, huh. serious, yeah, yeah, and, and a again. great price if you do have to pay for it. Yeah. But yeah, it is it is a fantastic game. I think it left a, a bigger impact on me personally than a lot of the games this year. I remember seeing critics coming out and saying like, "No, this is the game of the decade." I'm like, "That might be a bit much." That's ridiculous. <laughs> that is ridiculous. But it is it is really fresh and fantastic and kind of unlike yeah. anything else out there. And I can't recommend it enough. Like, if you like exploration and puzzles and you've got a bit of patience, this is a game you need to check out. Yeah, it's I wish a cheap, I, it's a cheap indie that feels very first party and polished. Yeah. in my opinion, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think I, I, I mistakenly thought when it did come to Game Pass, like, oh, Microsoft is helping pay for this thing or publish it or something like that, because it, like Chris said, it does. It feels like there's there's more behind this development. I wish I could go on talking about it, but Michael. You know what yeah. the music means. Well, it's we're wrapping up, so <laughs> let's move <laughs> along to... Number two. You're upset. Is this about BB-28? Go fuck yourself. I'm not your errand boy. Well, in any event, it seems it owes you its life. No, we owe the kid our lives. You too. I don't think any less accurate words have ever been said than I'm not your errand boy right there. <laughs> what game is this? <laughs> that was uh, that was Death Stranding, and he is so cranky. Yeah, and, and who is joining us again for this segment? Carolyn Pettit is here, gaming commentator extraordinaire. Thank you for so much for joining this. I, I'm glad to have someone on here who loves Death Stranding as much as I do. Uh, this, this has been... An incredible game, I think. Uh, Hideo Kojima, I think we, we kind of all had our doubts when he left Konami and like this strange project that is mostly just like surreal cutscenes shown at game shows. And, and everybody's like, is this an actual game or is it just a, <laughs> right. a string of interesting weirdness? And uh, it, it is it is very much a game. Uh, although you may find that you connect less with the, the cutscenes and more with these moments. Those moments where you stumble and all of your fucking packages go all Uh, over the place, roll down hills, become semi-destroyed. I I have to say, though, I love, and I really mean this, like, and I get get that this game is divisive, and I get Mm. that this is not what everyone wanted, but I love how willing this game is to just frustrate the hell out of you. Yes. To, like... To like inconvenience you, to just like frustrate you, and 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 I really think for me it really works because 
you end up in these situations where, like, whatever small mercies that you find, whatever, like, little bit of help or convenience that you find is stuff that's provided for you by other players. And to me, that really, like, emphasizes the game's kind of core themes, you know, everything it's trying to do around, like, you know, just this whole idea of, of people coming together and, and, and humanity, like, helping each other out and reconnecting and, and all of that. Yeah, you know what it reminds me of? This is a huge spoiler, so go ahead a minute if you don't want to hear about Near Automata for a second. Mm. But I was recently reading an article, I think it was, was it Kotaku, that that list you sent me, Michael, of the, the games that reflected the decade? Yes. And it talks about, there is a moment in one of the endings of Near Automata that is all about what Carolyn was just talking about, where... It's like you're getting frustrated by doing something yourself that is basically you have insurmountable odds and then it takes the help of other people. They begin to join you and it kind of is meant to teach that lesson that like on your own you can't do this but it really does require others to chip in and help out and this is the only way we're going to succeed is by kind of working together but it does it in that – in a very similar vein. It's this – asymmetrical manner it's not like there's players in real time joining yeah. in well it, it hits you over the head with it without it being explicit that it like yeah so much of the game is like we are going to take away community from you you are going to be a lone survivalist just like these chumps that you're delivering packages to and you're it's going like, to fuck jeff Keeley out there yeah. collecting <laughs> collecting his game figures uh, that that weirdo who keeps asking for pizzas mm-hmm. whatever and and you are going to have to trek through and make a path for yourself and it's just going to be you against the environment and it's going to be a struggle and then you make it to these survivalists and you eventually win them over and you get to switch on their internet. The infamous chiral network. I'll agree to a trial run. Not just of the network. UCA is a whole other matter. So you can connect me, yes? Well, okay. Go ahead then. Yeah, and then you you turn on the the chiral network, and then there there was one moment where like I had to do this delivery, and I ended up like trekking across this huge dangerous desert wasteland, and like by the time I got there, I had worn out my boots, I had put on like the sandal weeds that probably almost nobody ever uses, and those were about to wear away. Like my stamina was down to nothing. And so I turned on the Cairo network and I just, without even turning around, just like sat down and let Sam rest for a while. And then when I got up and turned around, it was like that moment in Wizard of Oz where the color comes on because it's like, oh my God, there's a shelter. There's there's like 30 bikes just left lying around. Uh, there's like so much infrastructure that wasn't there a minute ago. And mm-hmm. it's just because... I brought that community online. I'm now part of this community yeah. and it's so much easier and so much more pleasant when you've got other people out there working together and trying to build something together. Yeah. And that's the trick the game does that every time you go into a new zone, it kind of takes that away from you and makes you get connected. Mm-hmm. And cause you get so used to the convenience. Like once you, once you are connected, then you're, you know, doing your errand runs as it were. Yeah. Um, but oh, by yeah, the, by the way, it, that voice that I played was, yeah. Jordan vote Roberts, the, the director of Kong skull 
Island who's in this game along awesome. with a bunch of other celebrities so, for reasons. Yeah, so many like hidden cameos. Like there were so many we knew about. And then after the game came out, I feel like we're still discovering them in some ways. Uh, one thing I did want to say to rip off a joke from a pre- uh, recent VGA is Death Stranding really just about the survivalists we meet along the way, Michael? Is that what this game is? <laughs> kind of. Well, it, it's interesting. I, there is actually a line in the game that I think sums up the concept really quite well. Listen, you are Sam Strand. No, not, not anymore. My name is Sam Porter Bridges. It's a funny word, Strand. Strand is part of rope or bond. While stranding means being washed up on the shore. And being stranded is when you can't go home. I'm stranded now, Sam. Yeah, I kind of feel like that was just like Kojima's commonplace book, like scribbling that on. Like, oh, this is English is a weird language. That's a strange word. Let's let's explore that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, he's he's Mario and she's Princess Beach. <laughs> um, Princess Beach. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, I just think I, I just think that Kojima is. I, I can't, you know, I, I obviously have my issues with Kojima as a creator, mm. you know, but but I admire so much his willing. I mean, so I think back to like Metal Gear Solid uh, 2, right? And how he must have known, like there's no way he puts out a game where you pull a big bait and switch and oh, you don't get to play a snake for like 80% of it that, you know, that there was going to be a lot of people who were really unhappy about that. But he did it anyway. Like he was committed to it and it was his vision and he did it. And, you know, here again, like this is just mechanically, it's a game that is not safe. It is not designed to comfort and reassure and make players just feel like really powerful and to do a lot of the things that, that people often come to games for. And obviously like he's in a very privileged position. He's Hideo Kojima. Mm -hmm. Uh, He, he can do that. He, not a lot of creators couldn't, but nonetheless, like I, I just think it's such a, it's such a bold and confident kind of game that I can't help but just really admire the hell out of it. Yeah, and I think gameplay wise, it was uh, Katie McCarthy of US Gamer who tweeted out like, "Death Stranding is basically just all the times that I thought I was about to die on a hike," and I mean that as a compliment. Mm-hmm, <laughs> like mm-hmm. that it gives you that really palpable feeling of like no the the terrain is extremely treacherous and getting through it is often a puzzle that you have mm-hmm. to solve mm-hmm. and like if people just say like what is this just a walking simulator you're just walking from point A to point B it's like sometimes but that walk is incredibly challenging and kind of mm-hmm. takes a lot of good reflexes and skills plus you have to think yeah. your way around these obstacles and so I love when after you've you know fought your way up some really difficult hillside or dealt with, you know, a BT cluster or whatever. I love that it does then give you those those cathartic little moments where for a few minutes, you know, maybe a, a song kicks in and you can just kind of enjoy almost like the, 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 the pleasure of just traversing the environment because yeah. you've kind of earned it from you know the struggle that you've gone through to get to that point yeah i think i think one thing people don't talk about enough with this game it's related to what you were saying michael about like so like in in a souls game you know part of the joy of playing those games is you are overcoming 
seemingly insurmountable odds and been you know the, you barely get through by the skin of your teeth in a lot of those boss battles and this game can actually produce several of those moments just in a different way it's it's less a sprint and more of a marathon where like like you were saying michael there's those hikes or those deliveries where you're down to putting on the the sandalweed things and or you just you know your your truck's just about to run out of battery and then you come up over a hill and then you just there happens to be like that battery the charging station right yeah, there like this game some is some saint left you and yeah, you're about to get a bunch of likes it's it's full of these like weird close call skinnier teeth moments but and and it does those all the time and it feels so rewarding and so good and you're like oh my god i was just about to give up and then this thing happened and the game like consistently kind of redeems itself and, and i but it's it's different you know it's different than like the like i was saying the dark souls kind of quick quicker reward of a boss fight it's like no you you do have to invest more and you're kind of in it and it's lo- longer periods of frustration so that when it when it lets you up you know um there's there's this thing we talk about in wrestling where it's like the let up match right so you have like this super hardcore cage match or whatever and then the next one might just be like oh this is your chance to go get a soda or whatever mm-hmm. and so like Carolyn was saying like those moments where it plays a song and it almost becomes like a music video those yeah. feel well, so good i want to so talk rewarding. about that for a second because this seems to be the year when game designers finally said like hey you know that you know that moment in red dead redemption where you go into mexico and the song plays what if we did that in our game all the time. All the time. And yeah. so both this and Days Gone kind of had all these moments where you're just kind of like going on a long trek and it just plays a song over it. And you just kind of like, I don't want to interrupt this right now. I don't want to do anything that's going to cut short. I kind of need to rest, but I'm not going to stop at that that way station or whatever. Uh, I'm just going to keep going. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I, I think that's really cool. And, um, you know, maybe... It's it's a little bit overused in in these this year's games, but uh, it's something I would encourage more people to hey, do. It introduced me to Low Roar, which is an yeah. amazing band that I keep listening to now. So yeah, why that's not? True. And uh, and churches with the the lead singer dressed up like uh, Troy Baker's character with the <laughs> yeah. weird Pharaoh robe. That was, that was weird, but that was cool at the Game Awards. Yeah, I, like people people uh, point to Troy Baker's character a lot. It's like you're really cheesy, but you seem to be eating this up. I just had this reaction like when they they introduce his the the, the main villain of this game is like. Yeah, he used to be like the number one shipping magnate on the West Coast, but then he turned into a terrorist. It's like that Far Side cartoon with like the oh no, it's Doctor Whatever, the embodiment of all that's evil in butterfly collecting. <laughs> like, <laughs> but he, but he does have some pretty good lines. They'll never stop hunting you. Believe me, I know. Well, they can slap a sticker on you, but you're still gonna break in transit. Trey Baker might choose some scenery, but the person who who did at the Game Awards won Performance of the Year, and I feel rightfully so, uh, Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, as, yeah. in, as in everything he's in, he is so good in this game because it's just like – He's just it automatically is a amazing. Of, it's, it's, it's a tour de force of game acting. Like mm-hmm. never have I wanted to – been so compelled to see uh, – most of the time in the early game, you see him in those little cutscenes when you plug – you plug in your BD and it, it's kind of a flashback sequence or whatever. And I just kept wanting to see more of those and try to understand what's going on. Like he's so good. Hmm. Yeah. And for, for a guy who's mostly playing, if you think of those moments, he's just playing to like a webcam effectively. <laughs> like, you know, it's just him <laughs> yeah, by himself. Yeah, yeah. The, oh, BB, I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, didn't realize that the, the ramifications of this. 
But, oh, I just called. I called BBBD. Oh no, I'm confusing my my cute companions. <laughs> I, I like the idea of Norman Reedus just like jonesing for more Mads Mikkelsen performance. So like he just jacks into BB. You know, like every, <laughs> he just knows every time he jacks into to the BB, he's going to get a little bit more Mads. You uh, know, yeah, yeah. I love that you're calling it jacking in like straight out of like cyberpunk. I mean, I, and... I kind of you know it has that kind of quality to it in for some real. way. Yeah, for yeah. real. I also wanted to mention the the product placement at one point because the way that it does it is strange. Like, okay, so you'll know, like when you're in the shelters, he or the the private room, he has the the cans of monster energy. And did any of you notice how his behavior changes once that changes to beer? No, uh, I, I didn't, didn't notice until you told me about yeah. it, Michael. So, so the monster energy, he will always drink it very enthusiastically. Like he'll be falling over backwards. The the Timefall Porter, which like after you do this mission, it replaces the monster, and mm. he will he will initially drink it very enthusiastically, but then if you make him drink all of them, like he'll he'll just start like shaking the can and opening it in your face, and and then ah! like just drinking the last little bit, and if you keep doing this, eventually he will just get to the point where he, like okay the the third beer he will just angrily clear off the entire table and everything goes flying. And ah. it's it's just like yeah okay ah. now now your hat and your sunglasses are sitting on the floor I can't pick them up or anything so it's just like okay I guess we just had a blow up and then the next time you go into a private room it's back to monster and he's back to enthusiastic so. oh. Norman Reedus Norman Reedus being an angry drunk is the least surprising thing I've heard all year. <laughs> By the way, effective because you hear this. That is my can of Monster Energy drink that I'm I'm drinking oh, to keep my poor. stamina up as we record podcasts. <laughs> There is a certain conventionality, I think, in the way that the game signals when things are about to happen. Like, you immediately know, like, okay, for example, when a bunch of BTs or beached things are going to show up, because you always go through the same sequence every time. Uh, yeah, everything goes into dramatic slow motion as your Odra deck activates and starts flapping around in the direction of wraiths or ghosts or whatever it is that the BTs are. Yeah, I mean, Kojima is a master of, like, the language of video games mm-hmm. and of, like, conveying yeah. information to players in, in you know, really economical ways uh, that really economical yet effective ways. I mean, I think that for all of its, like, big budget, you know, uh, uh, wow factor, I mean... There's a lot of really interesting economical qualities to to Death Stranding. I mean, I remember I saw a tweet that was about like how economical, uh, from an like animation standpoint, a particular like a transition of Norman Reedus. I think is like going into the shower is in the in you know when you're in the mm-hmm. um, it's very elegant. Like he kind of goes out of frame for a bit and then you know comes back into frame and he's just the way that it's it's handled is is so smooth and you know it's not like resource intensive because like the change out of his clothes and everything just happens out of frame and you don't even really think about it it's just so it's just so elegantly handled and i think that you know there's a lot for all of its like deliberate roughness and you know it's 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 desire to really make you feel a kind of roughness when you're when you're playing um there there's all there's so much kind of elegance to so much of the game's design as well 
Mm, Can we talk a little bit about the feel? Because I think the feel is important. Carolyn, I know this is something that you you do appreciate about the game. It's it's the the way the levels are crafted, it's like you you do feel like you're interacting with an environment and to the point where people were complaining like I'm tripping over these tiny pebbles or whatever and I'm like, Well yeah, you're carrying like four hundred pounds of equipment. But like other games wouldn't do that, and and you would feel taken out of the game for it. You you're, you'd feel more like you're floating through the environments. Like this game is like no, what you see over there is you're going to interact with it. You you're, you're part of this world. It, yeah, exactly. I mean that's crucial to the game. I mean this game has such a weight to it. It has it, it has that texture, and and it's not always pleasant. It's not it's not always. I won't even, you know I won't even say it's always fun. I mean I think that the range of what games can do goes so far beyond what we conventionally kind of think of as fun. And there's so so many ways in which a game can be rewarding and can be worthwhile that aren't just like the like very traditional ideas of fun. And so yeah, like I. I I uh, I think you know I, I um, uh, Breath of the Wild is is a game that really made me feel the texture of the world that I was in and I loved that about it and Death Stranding does that too it's uh, I I really value it when a game when a game does that I think because I think so often yeah you do just kind of in the interest of providing controls that kind of quote unquote feel good for players games will often kind of make uh, kind of offer this kind of floaty experience where you don't feel the world that you're residing in because then if you if you felt it and you had to navigate it in in some kind of real way it could be this an obstacle and it could be frustrating but sometimes games sometimes not always of course but sometimes games should be frustrating yeah one thing i I love about this game i've referred to it before as a deconstructed fetch quest and i think the difference the reason it's still fun though is if you think of like what a lot of games do with fetch quests is it's it's like well we're gonna give you a task over here get this thing bring it back over here and maybe we'll we'll throw some enemies in your way or something like that. But usually, after a long period of time, it's it's not really fun. You know, you you, you end up just doing stuff for the sake of you know checking off to task lists or whatever. But this game, it may not throw like enemies in your way, and sometimes it does. But the combat is is very very tertiary in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, every moment of that quest itself, the fetch quest you have to be engaged and you have to be thinking about where am I walking? Where am I driving and all that. And, and it's, it's actually making you play the fetch quest, which, which few games actually do at this point in time. It's, it's like a little, and they're very literally delivery fetch quests. Like that's what this game is. But, and yet it's still, it's, it's, it makes fetch quests fun again. I, I don't know. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I think it does. I think it's. I think it, it's. It's interesting that it kind of it leans so. You know, all these things that we've sort of just categorically. I mean, we by we I mean I want to say like the mainstream game criticism establishment has sort of, you know, and I'm being very general here. I recognize that, but sort of decided well, fetch quests basically are bad. Like you know, controls that are are kind of rough are bad and but but what death training does is it takes these things that 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 have almost sort of been just dismissed as outright bad but it leans into them in such a way and it finds a way to make them like really good and really compelling and really rewarding it's just so it's just such a a wonderful like a refreshing departure in a lot of ways from kind of a, a lot of conventional mainstream game design wisdom i i think yeah absolutely and, and i sometimes wonder i wonder like how much of that is 
I don't know what the team size was there, but I, I get the impression it wasn't like a huge, you know, Call of Duty size team or anything like that. So sometimes you, you talk about like the economy of the animation and stuff. Sometimes I do feel like it's like maybe they were they were having to do more with less. And it's mm-hmm. weird to say that for a game that was effectively a first party published game. But I, I, I get that feeling when I play the game and I'm like, this is so finely crafted, but they it's almost like they intentionally limit the scope and what you can do in the game so that they can make the everything they do there is is you know turned up to a 10 it's like yeah this is the finest that we're going to do this specific mm-hmm. thing but we don't you don't they worry less about the breadth and, and it's more about the depth of of each thing that's in there that's an interesting way to put it we should probably move on though so let's jump ahead to Last Friday night, I was walking home from the bar, and this woman started coming towards me. She was staggering, you know, so I, I figured she was drunk. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, tell us, be honest now, how many drinks did you have? No, man, I, I barely had a buzz on Oh, come on. Look, just listen, all right? She got closer, and I got a good look at her. You got to see her eyes, her nose, her whole face. It looked like it was rotting. Yeah. She looked like a corpse. Like a walking corpse, man. <laughs> Sounds like my wife. Huh, the world's funniest trucker. <laughs> Driving down the open road eating a really disgusting burger in which game? Resident Evil 2 Remake! Yay! <laughs> or just Resident Evil 2, I guess we're calling it. Fantastic game, but who is joining us for this segment? For our Game of the Year segment! Holy shit, we're Whoa. at number one! Woo! Well, I am a scary man in a trench coat, Steve Guntley. And Greg Moore and Whitey Bite Me. And one more. T.L. Foster, and this is my first day at this police station. Oh, no. (laughs) In whatever town this is. (laughs) A lot of people die in Resident Evil 2. Lots of people are dead constantly. But do any of them truly live, Michael? That's the question. Where's the button to kiss a woman? (laughs) (laughs) Where's the button to have hopes and dreams for tomorrow? Oh, that's when you click both sticks. Yeah, if anyone lives to the fullest, it's this guy. (laughs) Those fucking footsteps. Like, you almost gave me a panic attack just now. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of the... So it's it's tough to pull off a swerve in a game that we've all theoretically played before. Mm -hmm. And yet they did it. Just by doing the simple thing of taking something that was not in the original first campaign playthrough of the original game... And putting it, let's call it midway. It's not even, it's, I guess it's before midway of the campaign. You know, you're still in the police station, but putting, what are we calling him? Mr. X on this? Uh, yeah, Mr. Yeah. X. Putting Mr. Yeah. X in there as this brilliant device to keep moving your ass along mm-hmm. and kind of locking you off from certain areas of the station whenever they needed to. Like, it was, it was brilliant. It really makes me excited for Resident Evil 3 next year because, like, I was playing and I was like, this is how I wanted nemesis to fill yeah. mm-hmm. which it did it back in the day and like just mr x was it was always like it was just intense every time like he saw it was like oh shit what what the fuck am i going to do like i loved it i mean it was especially effective because i felt like mr x was kind of a 
I don't know, you kind of forget he's in the original game. Like, he's kind of a cast aside, you know? Yeah, and, well, uh, because he doesn't show up until so the second playthrough. He's, he's the second playthrough. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which in this one, I don't know if it's spoiler to say, but, you know, you do know there are two campaigns in, in this game at least, right? You, you get to mm-hmm. play as two leads. And your second time through, he's right from the start. It was interesting to see, like, there, there are people on YouTube who've basically just, like, hacked the shit out of the game mm-hmm. and to the point where like okay we're gonna un- unhinge the camera and sail it around and we're gonna figure out okay where exactly is mr x in relation to you at any given time and finding out that it's like okay so he is actually present in the world apart from you he wanders around but he sort of follows a path that like in slowly kind of hones in on your location so he he wanders around to build tension but then will inevitably close in on you. And sometimes it's it's at very inopportune times, like when you're walking down a hallway and he smashes through a wall or uh, and you open a door and like, oh shit, he's on the other side. <laughs> he's right here. Mysteriously, he can't go through certain doors into save rooms, for example. So there are places where you're safe from him. But he is continually terrifying and there's some real moments of tension even when you're hiding out from him in like listening to the footsteps come to the door and then walk around and fade away and then you wait for a second and then they come right back Mm -hmm. and yeah a little bit of back and forth there speaking of people who hack the game (laughs) he's he's been the subject of some really cool mods which have among other things put him in bikini briefs and (laughs) flip-flops they have replaced him with certain things including my personal favorite you It's always a good and moment. it's still scary. You do not shoot at Thomas the Tank Engine. Well, there's something about the way that that chugging like echoes off the walls. Like, ah, it's terrifying. This big floating smiling train. And yet that is yeah, only my second eyeballs. favorite. That's my second favorite Thomas mod of in games this year. My first is where they replaced the giant snake in Sekiro with yes, Thomas. Yes, that is yes. a good one. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Some, a lot of surprises in this one. For example, zombies like, okay, you, you would think... A headshot would be enough to reliably put down most zombies. Not always true in Resident Evil 2. Here's somebody trying to put down a single zombie with a pistol at close range. All of these are headshots that landed. What the? Stabs the zombie. And it still doesn't die for a while. But I I ran into situations like that all the time. It's like, I'm using up all my ammo on this stupid fucking zombie and it won't die. Yeah, I mean, if you're shooting every zombie, you're not playing the Resident Evil game the way you're meant to play it. Like, Mm. those games are supposed to be about scarcity and only use your bullets when you need to. I play them like Metroidvanias. I have to 100% every (laughs) area. Yep. Yeah, but they do. I mean, it is still a subversion of what you know about this series and this you know, the original version of this game because, mm-hmm. like, you know, you go in with an idea of how many bullets it's going to take and, you know, if you hit the head, then they go down sometimes in one shot, but that is not at all the case in this. No, it's not. And In fact, I think the best trick this game pulls off is feeling familiar if you played the first one mm-hmm. and yet subverting expectations. Like, yes. there are things that are, if you remember the puzzles from the first one, it's like, ah, oh, yes, I remember that puzzle, but there, it's just different enough in this one where it's a brand new game experience and, and it's it does a thing that like a lot of good remakes can do which is like make you feel like you did when you played the original 
and yet do it with all new technology, you know? And so that, that, that to me was just like the whole experience playing this thing. I'm like, yeah, I feel like I'm playing Resident Evil 2, but I know it's, it's a way better game than, you know, just because technology has, has progressed so much, mm-hmm. and, but it, it was still, still just as fresh and new. And it's like, I'm not knocking this one because it was my favorite remake last year, but the Shadow of the Colossus remake, it's like, mm-hmm. if you played the first one, you know exactly what to expect in that remake. You yes. Know? It's, it's a gorgeous version of it, but it's that game but again. But it's a one-to-one remake. Mm-hmm. It's a one-to-one. This where, is something yeah, completely different. Yeah, this is completely different. Yeah. To, to, almost to the point, like, like you said, where it's like, do you put remake on the end or just parentheses 2019 mm-hmm. because yeah and, right right speaking of subverting expectations again i'm gonna spoil something that happens kind of late in the game so if you don't want to hear it skip ahead about a minute but remember in resident evil 2 when you played as sherry very briefly and you had to run around and hide from monsters that comes back and the monster is somehow more mundane and much much more terrifying than before it's all over now Doors locked! Where are you? Show yourself! I know you're in here! The longer it takes me to find you, the worse it's gonna be! I feel like if Mr. X could talk, that's how he'd sound. But (laughs) certainly echoes of that character as you're heading as Sherry Birkin from Chief Irons the, the mm. psychotic police chief and and you're trying to hide in like this big playset basically so there's like little tunnels and limited hiding space and you're like just stay out of sight be as quiet as possible because you are a defenseless little girl against this giant immaculately rendered terrifying child molester looking dude <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> description, yes. Yeah. yeah. In a broader sense, I would say that rethinking the characterizations of all the characters in this game is one of the very best things that mm. it does as a remake. Because I, I feel like the older RE games, it, they always kind of worked at creating tension in spite of the voice acting. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But now it feels like, you know, all the characters feel like, you know, what you had in your head when you played the old games, yeah. but with much better writing and performances. They feel like they actually talk like human beings yeah. now. S- sometimes <laughs> it's it's almost weird how much like actual human beings they talk like. For example. Yeah. It's so nice to see you. How are you doing? That helicopter just came out yeah. of nowhere. I'm in one piece. I'm guessing you don't have a key in one of those fancy pockets? Uh, unfortunately, No. But how are you doing? You know, just surviving. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Any luck with your brother? No, not yet. Claire, don't lose hope. I'm sure we're going to find him. Assuming he wasn't I mean, that's, on that helicopter. Yeah, just just that, that awkward meet-cute dialogue. Oh, yeah. like, how how yeah, are you doing? You oh. get a dynamic there yeah. that you, you know, it sounds like the two performers in the same room reacting off one another. Mm-hmm. I don't think you'd get that right. out of the old style recording. Well, it sounds like all of us since 2016. How you doing? Oh, you know. Surviving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, what you know, I mean, no. I, that's all well and good. I just wish I knew who the master of unlocking was now. I don't know mm, if we'll ever be able to figure that out. There's no way to be sure who the master There's of no unlocking way. is. Yeah. No, but no. it can be you because of one addition that I did not expect to like as much as I did. Oh. 
those weird little puzzle locked pocket safes. Like the you, oh, you yeah. find a few of them, and it's like mm. it's the best thing ever when you find one. It's like oh, this is going to be fun for like two minutes, mm-hmm. and uh, then there's going to be something cool inside, like a weapon mod or something neat that is indispensable. Totally forgot. The only thing is things. when. <laughs> So this game has an S plus rank that you need to unlock a bunch of cool stuff, mm-hmm. like infinite ammo for like the heavy guns. Yeah. Um, and it's based on your completion time. And because those puzzles are randomized, there's no way. To, I mean, as far as I can tell, there's no way to like consistently do them super fast. So when you're trying to beat that uh, time you need for the S plus, it's maddening. Or you can just pay five bucks and unlock the stuff without mm. doing the S plus. Mm-hmm. You, the this master the of paying five bucks for unlocking. <laughs> <laughs> this is the game that made me realize I would rather just pay a couple bucks than spend hours trying to do the thing. Yeah, yeah I, I, can't, like, I can't really argue with that. I could be running this game, or I could pay actual money to enjoy what I like about this game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. or, or you could interpret it as I could actually pay actual money to enjoy what I already paid for. I suppose what I've never understood about the those types of unlockables, it's like, okay, if I'm good enough to get S plus rank, do I need to go back through the game again at that point with unlimited ammo and the heavy weapons? Like I'm that's that's just you really trying to squeeze the most out of that game yeah. at that point. Do do I wanna yeah. put down Mr. X every time I meet him, knowing he's just gonna hop back up in a, mm-hmm. in a minute? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man! Yeah, it's a little counterintuitive. Yeah, I love this game. I loved the the AI in this game. You know, I th- I think the the fun thing about Mister X is not just that he's terrifying and can surprise you at any moment, but kind of learning to exploit the AI a little bit, like kite it around. Like if it's yeah. between you and where you need to go, figure out how to get him to a certain location where you can run away and, and cut around him. That and... location was called the library because that's mm-hmm. exactly where I did it every single time in this game. Climbing up the ladder. <laughs> yeah, climbing up the ladder because mm-hmm. he was very slow there. He would, uh-huh. he would, he would follow you. Yeah, but, uh, he would follow you. Might, might go up the stairs even. Run but... around tables a la that game as a kid where you'd run around a car and, you know, kind of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, did yeah, that feel, a lot. I feel like there was a lot of that. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, this was... Fantastic. This is this I think is the first time that a remake has not only entered our top ten but come away with the the number one spot. Like this I think got the most votes out of anything wow. else on our list. And when we uh wow. the, when the host got together and said like which of these ten games do are we most excited to talk about, it came out on top. So this was a joy to play. I felt like it combined the best parts of Resident Evil 2 and the mechanics of Resident Evil 7, which if you've never played Resident Evil 7, it is one of the best Resident Evil games. Yeah. And, oh, easily. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's one of the most exciting things to me about this and the success of this game is that, like, what an embarrassment of riches for Capcom that they have two directions they can go now. Mm-hmm. They, they can do third-person, more traditional Resident Evil-style games as long as it's using this engine. What's the name of this engine? It's a really good engine. That's RE engine. Okay. Oh, man. Or they can go first-person like they did with 7, yeah. and they were equally just excellent but games. I, I think like the, the first-person perspective and the defenselessness at the beginning of 7 and in that demo kind of led people to think, like, oh, this is like Outlast. And it's like, no, once you get past a certain point in that game, it is exactly like... It's it's as good as Resident Evil One felt the first time you played it in the nineties. Well, I will say though the first person one to me at least was way scarier than this game. I was not mm. scared at all at any point in two. That's maybe true. a jump scare. I, I, I was, I was oh, scared see, I, by Mister X. Okay, like there's something. I, I was gonna yeah. say I I feel like this might be the scariest game I've ever played. 
I haven't been wow. able to go yeah. back for a second wow. playthrough. I think Mr. X made me so anxious all wow. the time. Yeah. Like I've been yeah, afraid yeah. to touch it again. Yeah, see there was there was I, tense moments for sure with Mr. X, but I was never I was really scared. Seven, there were times where I was like, I don't want to look at the screen right now. Sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's just anticipation, but like throughout playing that game, every turn i was just like what what else like there's a there's an air of of like relatability because you've played this game before but you haven't so just the anticipation of moving like okay i know what should be here but i don't know if it's different like what what has changed like i i found this game tremendously scary that's a good you know what that is so that's a good point tl is like there's like a meta there's like a meta scare layer here which is like you because they know you have an expectation of certain so so mm-hmm. the the interrogation room would be a perfect example right it's like you have this mm-hmm. expectation of oh someone's going to pop through that window because you might have seen it before and then they play off even that second layer of tension like oh, okay i'm subverting what they you know and so it's like you can kind of create an extra layer of tension just by fucking with what people remember from the older games you know yeah. and, and i think i feel like resident well, evil 1 remake did that as well all those years ago oh absolutely so, yeah yeah. yeah, the dog window. Mm-hmm. It's like they know that that sticks out in everyone's mind as like one of the most memorable things that happened in the game. So everyone tenses up and they just give you that little crack of the window, but it doesn't come through yeah. until you come yeah. back. Yep. But then uh, like the and then the, the the big one in RE1 was the Crimson Heads. Mm, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. to me, Mr. X's appearance is that it's that same moment when the first time a, a dead zombie comes back to life in RE1 mm-hmm. and it's this great subversion of like a core mechanic. It's like Mr. X can open doors now and he appears in the first campaign. Yeah. It's just a complete upheaval that like screws you for the rest of the game. <laughs> I mean, he also has one of the best entrances in any video game ever where he literally lifts a burning helicopter out of his way <laughs> to come down a hallway. It's like, oh shit, so- guess who's here? <laughs> Yeah. So about that, one of the uh, tricky things about modern gaming and doing things in this very seamless way where you're always in control is that moments happen while the players could be, like, dicking around with the camera. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, this happened to me, like, four different times on my first run through this game, so I actually missed his appearance. Oh, no! (laughs) And I missed, like, the first liquor sighting and all all these other key parts. I was like, man, I gotta stop looking around. The liquors were my least favorite part of this game. Those things suck. More of a beer man myself. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, But, yeah, yeah, God, the liquors were so goddamn difficult. But, like, there's sort of a trick to them in that, like, okay, you have to be absolutely silent certain things like i think you get like sonic grenades that can completely oh, yeah. disorient them yeah that's all fine and good until you're running from mr x and then you have to go into a hallway there yes. and try being silent then <laughs> yeah yeah and the monsters in mr x don't attack each other if i remember right they they just sort of walk alongside mm-hmm. each other mm-hmm. but yeah and, and just and, and there's something something about mr x just that it's it's sort of the essence of fear, isn't it? Like you're being pursued by something unstoppable and implacable that is like kind of slow moving, but always right at your heels. It's it's like yeah. a nightmare. What he really needs it's to like do, it follows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What what really needs to happen is he needs to meet an immovable object because, mm-hmm. as we all know, an unstoppable force, immovable object. Yeah. Well, so then you, you have a WrestleMania main event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tofu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DLC. <laughs> yeah, I think if I had one complaint about this game, it's that the second campaign, like apart from there being a few different doors you can go into, yeah. is not actually that different from the first pass through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the same mm-hmm. events I really happen. Wanted to talk about that. Yeah. It's streamlined. And, and I feel like in the PlayStation original, oh. like it was a different 
complementary campaign, and now it kind of feels like, well, it's the same campaign, but with little differences. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I mean, it seems like they kind of missed the whole point of RE2 in mm. that sense. And, I, um, I feel you, like, did they do the thing, though, where you can visit certain areas in different orders, like the puzzles might be in different orders in that second playthrough? I think so, but you end up, like, fighting the yeah. same bosses and yes. the same way. Yeah, you do. Except for at the very there, end. Yeah, like... There was a comment on Reddit where someone, like, because I was looking into this today, because I could never make sense of it, and someone was like, "Yeah, there's there's no run through of the of the remake that could be considered canonical, because like in the original RE2, you could play Claire Claire A, Leon B, or vice versa, and either way, you could it, it made sense as a coherent A B thing. You're seeing one side of the story than the other, but. Eventually, they they basically canonized Claire A, Leon B, and RE6. But in this one, because it's like, if you play Claire A and Leon B, there are moments where they do the same things, where it wouldn't make sense for them to do the same things. Mm -hmm. Like, you both fight Birkin in the same places. It's like, well, so which one of them fought Birkin? And you have to just kind of suspend disbelief and be like, well, we don't really know what Leon was doing while Claire was doing that. So it feels like there's a few differences, but then there's there's other moments where it doesn't make sense because you're doing the same stuff. I think it was pretty much just the bosses. The bosses, you did have to suspend disbelief and just you didn't they didn't even bother to put a cinematic explaining like, oh, maybe this guy climbed back and is here again or something. It's like, no, mm-hmm. it's just he's in the same spot as you. Whereas I think what made it worse is. So, so many other things in the playthroughs, they, they were telling a different story and were saying like, oh yeah, uh, Chris was already here. Claire was already here. And then mm-hmm. when it came to the boss, it's like, well, we just need you to do another. I almost would have preferred, honestly, just no bosses in that second playthrough or, or, or one yeah, or two different bosses. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, yeah. I would have yeah. just, I would greatly have preferred a shorter second run mm-hmm. uh, that was coherent. <laughs> I think that's a relatively small complaint. Like, that was a little disappointing to see. But overall, like, I feel like the game came together extremely well. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, it, this game had, like, fun experiences of the year. Yeah. But. yeah. I, I feel like this had, like, a lot of weight of expectation on it, too. At least it did for me. Like, I've been kind of clamoring for an RE2 remake since the first RE1 remake in, what, 2002 or something like that? And, like... Yeah, Resident Evil 2 remains my favorite game in the series, like the original Resident Evil 2. It's like that was my intro to the series. It was my first one. And so I had a lot of expectations about this. And this one just surpassed them across the board. Like it really blew me away. And it, like I said, it terrified me too much to play for too long. Yeah, I mean, for a game to come out so, so early in the year and just to resonate so well, like I don't even, I think even if this game, let's say it wasn't called Resident Evil, it was just like spooky raccoon city game right like it, it didn't have the resident evil well, like, tied to it biohazard if it's just called biohazard. <laughs> yes biohazard you're right but even without that i think it would have still resonated just because it was just done so well that, that, like i said that resident evil um that the our, the resident evil engine is so good like for for this year to have two really good games played on that engine right like it's just been really great in this game it just surpassed it i didn't think a resident evil game could look this gorgeous like an old one of the old games look this good like i i don't know it's just it really like knocked everything out of the park for me and i think matt put it really well too like it's playing on your memories of the original game to try and subvert your expectations and try and like mess with your head a little bit and i, I think it, it just succeeds so well at that you know, you go through, and if you've played the original enough times, you recognize some of these buildings, you recognize some of these floors. It's like, okay, I remember the solution to this puzzle. 
and then boom, big scary guy in a trench coat comes charging out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. It just <laughs> upends everything. I mean, it's it's uh, it's fantastic the way they keep you on your toes. But you also certainly didn't need to have played the originals. Like it, it doesn't rely oh, no. on that. You yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah. it's it stands on its own. Like if there are people who who never played two, and if they play this game, they'll just be like, "This is a fantastic survival horror game." Mm-hmm. But it, it does have that extra layer for us grunyards uh, who play who play the original. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think but, the question now is going to be what they do with three to to keep that just as subversive because they kind of took Nemesis's bit, right? So I wonder yeah. if they're yeah. going to switch yeah. it up again or if, or if they're just can, like, this works, so let's just keep doing it. Well, what 3 has going for it is that, that multiplayer mode is now included as part of 3, and I'm looking oh, forward yeah, to that. Oh, yeah, with Finn oh. Wolfhard. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, mm. that looks like Finn Wolfhard. But it's like it's like cybernetic Mr. X and Finn yeah. Wolfhard. But it, that, it reminds me <laughs> of uh, Resident Evil Outbreak, which, like, yeah. that's due for a comeback, I think. And packaging it in oh, a God. larger remake We're is just probably gonna, the perfect way to do that. We're just going to have another thing. Like, this was I, around Outbreak is the point where I was like, there's too much Resident Evil to keep track of. They're mm-hmm. just going to do it again, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> it's just going to be like, oh, yeah. all right, I'm out. I'm yep. checked out again. Yep. Zombie yep. <laughs> shark's death. Do, 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 do. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm just, I'm just ready for them to remake Resident Evil 6. And to a game that everyone else likes that I like. <laughs> well, just, just the eight play, play mercenaries. It's good. Yeah. yeah. The, the the Ada campaign I thought was the best part of Resident Evil Six, and I'm glad that they eventually unlocked it just from the beginning. But uh, I, I feel like that that justified all the rest of the content. But um, yeah. Anyway, Resident Evil Two, our game of the year. So yeah, we're all very happy for it. Congratulations to Resident Evil Two. I'm sure this means a very lot to you that you are Video Game Apocalypse's game of the year for 2019. <laughs> but on that note, we are going to take a little break. This top ten segment is over. But when we come back, we are going to have a new question of the week for you what could it be i can't imagine not like there's years of past precedent to tell you but anyway <laughs> stay tuned we'll be right back where did the time go running scared for so many years and now i'm Get scratching. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. I really need you here for... I just okay. described it to you earlier. I need you to talk me off a ledge. I saw Rise mm-hmm. of the Skywalker day one. It instantly left a bad taste in my mouth. I had to fight every urge in my body to go online and complain about a Star Wars movie because I promised myself I would not be that person ever again. <laughs> but here we were, and I, I know I have some rational criticisms of the movie, even some rational negativity towards the movie. But what I hate is that like it has overshadowed the things I know are fine and okay and work would work in any sci-fi adventure movie. And, sure. and, and that's, I think that's why Star Wars becomes such a difficult property. Um, because I, and I think that's, that's, that's why this one looks so weird. You can see the strings on them trying to please everybody. 
and in effect, oh, like absolutely, yeah, in effect, like slightly displeasing a lot of people. I, I knew I needed someone like you or or Dan Amrick, just that like have, have a little more balanced look at like how to deal with small pieces of disappointment where it doesn't end up coloring your entire experience. But I think, yeah, I think uh, Star Wars: Rise of the Skywalker started out. To me, with things I read as egregious changes to address the worst possible kind of criticism, and it colored the rest of the film for me. And I, I walked out yeah. like thinking, like I can't even see what the good moments were. And as I talked to people, like what about this and that, and like yeah, you're right, you're right. Those are like, but I was in a bad mood. Get bonus time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just five dollars on Patreon.com/slash LaserTime. So that has been our top 10 games for this year. Another list over and done with. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed pulling this all together. It's been a fun discussion. We've talked about a lot of things, but now it's time to get down to the nitty gritty and ask you our question of the week. What is your personal favorite game of the year? I think speaking for myself, it's sort of a toss up between Death Stranding, our number two, and Resident Evil 2 are number one. Because, like, these are these are both incredible games for completely different reasons. I think Resident Evil 2 is the sort of game that we might not ordinarily consider, but because it is technically a remake, but they remade that game so thoroughly and so beautifully. Like, everything... It, like, there, there's very little fat on that game. It remixes all the events of the original game in a very interesting way that kind of preserves the horror and keeps you on your toes. Uh, the, the gameplay is tremendously satisfying. I feel like it pulls all the best elements from Resident Evil 7 into it, its milieu. And then Death Stranding, as as we've said before, is like all the best elements of going on a really challenging hike that might kill you and destroy your cargo at any second, boiled into a game. And it has so much to say about community and the importance of working with other people versus isolation. So that's me. Um, I, I'm so I, like that's the thing. Like when they announced Resident Evil Three, I was like, "What about Resident Evil?" And I forgot they remade Resident Evil One so immaculately <laughs> yeah. so long ago yeah. that they remake. can continue to sell it on every platform because it, it's it's really really a really really good remake and has replaced the original version mm-hmm. in my eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and, and I, mine mine was and I I wish I'd had more support here, but I think two people. Voting technically worked on the game, but I really like Remnant. Mm. I really did. Yeah, Remnant to me is is like I, I I don't know. Like I, you'll hear me defend the John Wick series on a, re, a new episode of Laser Time, and it feels like that. Like I've seen things like this happen before, but not this fast and not this furious. And it, it, it leaves out a lot of I think bullshit story and things built to sell you action figures and DLC, and really just cuts to the chase of so many things I like about Souls games and looty shooties and it just it takes out so much bullshit after like it's one hour of bullshit yeah well but um, what's really interesting to me is that it's like post-apocalyptic Dark Souls with a very interesting backstory to discover like you know the world ended sometime in the 60s and you're trying to discover what happened to the world but it it's it's technically a roguelite in that like the world is completely randomized and procedurally generated and it feels crafted and you won't know until like you re-roll your world and start a new game and realize like oh man now it's completely different yeah yeah and the re-roll thing is 
so cool because right when you think you've got to the end game of the campaign, you can. And and when I re-rolled, I did I did find some things I never found before, or bought like, but not just things, but like bosses, like massive, massive, massive bosses, and some bosses I had played before, but only connecting to someone else's game. I don't know. You am I, am I saying that correctly, Matt? I don't remember exactly that, how that's that... That's exactly... That was intentional. That's how it was meant to work. You know, the whole vision of Dave Anderson was the guy who, who runs the studio Gunfire. He basically described he, he loved, like, New Game Plus modes in games like Dark Souls, but what he really wishes is the experience would change when you did that. And so they, they specifically designed Remnant so that it is procedurally generated or dynamically generated. And, yeah, when you start a new new game plus it, it it re-rolls everything and you're absolutely right that there will be new bosses that can be included in that new version of the game that may not have been in your original and then like you also mentioned co-op is the other big way that you can you really can see that uh, dynamic generation is, is you go into someone else's world and you're like wait why is this layout completely different or why where is this boss here compared to my game and and that that's totally intentional i think it gives a game like this a lot of replay value you know as someone who has done new games new game plus once or twice on on each of the souls games it is nice that they change up the experience and and make makes the game less about memorizing where the enemies are and more about how good you are at you know actually engaging and fighting in the combat and as well as you know starting to explore and try to uncover all of its secrets so i'm really really happy you're giving it that recognition chris that's really cool i know it's borrowing a lot of things from different places but it's doing it so much faster and like i'm i don't like having as much armor and weaponry in destiny as i don't need i don't need one one hundredth of what i have i don't need i don't need 99 out of 100 things i have in destiny it's just bullshit there to confuse you. And this game's mm. like, this is your shotgun. You can upgrade it. Here's a mod you can put on it. Want to upgrade the mod? You can do that. And like, <laughs> you don't have to. It, it's not me like having to constantly recycle horse shit yeah. and, and, and grind for gear. It mm. was just like, apply it here and do something harder. Go. Go. It, like, it didn't require me to do bullshit over and over again. And it helped me Sherpa people through stuff. That last boss is so weird and fun in a way I. I love Destiny's raids, but it did remind me, like, oh, there's a ton of bullshit in Destiny that I don't really want to do anymore. <laughs> I don't want to keep replaying easy levels for loot. Mm, mm-hmm. And, I, and this, this this just dropped that. And, like, we'll re-roll and make it fucking harder, asshole. And, I, and, by the way, it's the closest I've been to any game, I think, in 10 years to having 100% of their achievements. Oh, nice. I'm oh, I'm very, very close. Cool. And I, I think I played it the most this year. And I, I saw most of the people who played it were very complimentary. And I, I just don't think it got played by enough people. So I'm, I'm giving that a shout out because, like, I, I think shit like that deserves more credit. Like, a, a really, really solid take on a popular genre. Mm. Uh, or, or synthesis of a, a couple of genres. Well, if you and didn't play it, it is on Game Pass now. So oh, there's your chance. Yeah eat it and uh, yeah. don't get frustrated in, in the beginning because it like it starts moving real fast real soon mm-hmm. so so with my kind of like you michael i was torn between two options and i do want to give recognition to kind of my runner-up uh, control i love control control is i'd say the most compelling game this year in terms of me wanting to uncover what's going on and really dive into the story and just really it kept me going if it weren't for a few frustrations i have with certain moments in that game and the combat and how sometimes 
you can feel like you can you can die very quickly and then other times you don't and it's just you know it's i guess balance let's just let's just call it that um control would have been my game of the year but if not for resident evil 2 remake is my game of the year there has not been another game that i absolutely devoured like i did resident evil 2 remake i i played through both of the main character campaigns in the matter of a weekend and i made it a point to see everything that game had to offer i loved it it surprised me too it's a remake but you're, you guys are right i shouldn't have been surprised considering resident evil 1 remake was was so brilliant that they did they did it again i guess one of the things for me is you know following up resident evil 7 i wasn't sure what they would do and where in what direction the franchise could go in and i thought well yeah now they they have to do this moving forward because resident evil 7 was so amazing and the fact that they went back to the older formula for this and pulled it off it was amazing and now it's like you know what i'm really looking forward to us maybe getting both you know maybe resident evil 8 continues the first person stuff i don't know but i feel like they have lots of options that maybe they didn't have before in a series that had maybe become stagnant to a few people you know after six it's like well now they have options and they they've proven they can do both kind of things well uh so yeah resident evil 2 remake is is my personal game of the year do you think they'll ever do a resident evil 4 remake on ps5 yeah i've i've seen a lot of think pieces about it (laughs) i don't think you can sell that game again well Maybe if you remake it's, it the same way I, that RE2 and RE3 are being remade, who knows? Well, do you think? Well, how about before we even get there? No one says talks about Code Veronica. Do we get a Code Veronica remake? No, like a true remake. No, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe that game was always maybe. like a weird offshoot. Like this isn't Resident is. Evil Four, but why isn't it? But it, did you guys see the Easter egg too for the three remake? By the way, that they released a, a demo of two. Mm-hmm. So here's here's a hey, if you want to if you haven't played two and want to experience it for yourself, there is a free demo out there but apparently it contains an easter egg where at one point you hear nemesis you 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 hear him yes so it's teasing the resident evil 3 which is upon us in four months if you can believe it it's it's right around the corner chris baker what is your personal game of the year my personal game of the year surprise surprise is star wars jedi fallen order i haven't played as many of the top tier games this year as i'd like to first of all but i think really just it's great to have single player third person action star wars games back and it was a a very great game because i am a huge star wars fan you know i've been i'm basically the same age as star wars grew up with it kenner Mm -hmm. toys and everything stayed with it when it was dead (laughs) <laughs> you know, hmm. there was a period where there, Star Wars was dead. There, there was, like, through most of the, the 80s and oh, yeah. into the early 90s. All oh, you yeah. had was an Ewok cartoon. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, that that's that's my answer. Although I would like to give a, uh, a shout-out to a game I haven't seen mentioned in a lot of this uh, talk, but uh, Ape Out. I loved Ape Out this year. As a, it was uh, on our list. As a, a uh, Pac-Man meets stealth meets... <laughs> Jazz, uh, broken jazz. jazz. Yeah, it's right, Hotline right, right. Miami. Yeah, a little bit of that. And just uh, from a very selfish perspective, uh, I, I worked very hard on a game called Operencia: The Stolen Sun that came out this year, yeah. and I'm very proud of that. And everyone who played it seems to like it. So, is it still on Game Pass? Yeah, 82 on Metacritic for your, your Xbox Game Pass. And uh, get it, y'all. Nice. And yeah, it did, I'm super happy with uh, how that turned out and everything. But yeah, it, Star Wars is. It's just it's just nice to have it back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it'll never go away again. <laughs> well, the movies are almost done. 
We'll see. Uh, just for a Dining there's a close. new trilogy coming in like 2021. Don't yep. you know? So they your, say, your steady like, supply of of Star Wars is assured at this point. Like mm-hmm. I don't know, but the, like showrunners and directors, like there's been there's been more of them fired and lost yeah. than defense against but the it dark makes arts so teachers. So much money. They're, you know, Disney is not going to let it die. It's going to well, keep we, happening. We did hear sure, from yeah. the uh, the new head of EA Motive that one of their projects is continues to be a Star Wars game. I'm pretty okay. sure. So we got at least one coming in. Yeah, I'd be surprised if we don't get a new Star Wars game from EA, if not every year, at least every other year moving forward. Yeah, I hope so. Was it, wasn't this sort of like their their last ditch? Like uh, we need to secure the the license, so we need to put out a single player game. <laughs> I think they have a couple more years on that deal uh, okay. before it expires. I think they have a couple more years in the deal, but I do think something with Battlefront 2 caused discussions to kick up again and people to look like where their out clauses were. So I think it... I'm, I'm speculating. I don't know anything internally. It's just from what I gleaned, it seemed like this was kind of like, we need to start over and do what we thought you were going to do with the brand. The, 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 the interactive medium can't have a Star Wars stink on it. Right, yeah. So it can't all be multiplayer, and it can't all be fucking loot boxes. Like we got to do something traditional. All I know is that Star Wars pinball still going strong. Hell yeah! Release the Switch. And Carolyn Pettit, what is your personal game of the year for 2019? My game of the year is Death Stranding. Oh, I mean, for me, it's a game that really pulls together the threads of uh, of a lot of different things that have kind of dominated my experience of games for for much of the past decade. Really, I mean, there's there's the loneliness and solitude in Death Stranding, which obviously a lot of games have a, a kind of focus on loneliness or solitude because you're, you're so often cast as these individual heroes who go off on these lone quests or adventures but there's something about the way that sam so often like interacts with just like holographic projections of people rather than even like actual you know sharing physical space with other people that to me it really speaks to the particular isolation of the modern era where like we see each other constantly on twitter but we might nonetheless be quite separate from others in in some really important ways Mm -hmm. um there's a real consideration, obviously, in Death Stranding with, like, physical space and the, the texture of physical space, which is something that was crucial to my experience of games like Breath of the Wild, where I really could feel in Breath of the Wild, like, the rugged hillsides under my hands as I was climbing, or mm. I felt like I, I could really feel yeah. the, the slopes I was ascending. Death Stranding, obviously, is, you know, really makes you feel those geographical textures and then there's like i think death stranding is a really really wonderfully sincere game you know when you when you like donate resources to some construction site or you know some other players project the 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 machine might play some kind of chirpy little fanfare for instance but it's not it's not in some kind of like ironic way that so many games will do that kind of make you kind of laugh cynically like oh look the the machine is like trying to be uh like chirpy and upbeat like ha 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 this game i i really feel like kojima is you know while there's certainly elements of death training that are goofy and kind of funny and uh, you know may even make you laugh like it's not a a cynical or ironic game at all it has a really deep sincerity to it and i think it's a game that really cares about connection and cares about people reaching out for each other and you know joining each other and struggle to fight for a better world in this 
you know, in, in, in a way that to me is just very kind of open-hearted and endearing. And, you know, I'm a big fan of sincerity and, um, and earnestness. And I just think that that's something that we could use a whole lot more of. So um, for all those reasons, I, I, Death Stranding is my game of the year. Hmm. Nice. I wonder if that sincerity is one of the reasons we sort of give him a pass for having the most garish, like, monster product placement or the ride with Norman Reedus whenever you <laughs> well, use right. the restroom. We may or have even just already some of the been silliness. about to talk about this in depth. Uh, yes, but, <laughs> but yes, the sincerity is definitely uh, – that's a great way of putting it. I'd never, I'd never phrase it that way, but I think, I think that's why I don't mind it so much in his games. Yeah, it certainly it certainly makes it a lot. All that other stuff go down a lot easier for me as well. Greg Moore, what is your personal game of the year? I've got to if if only out of loyalty, and I promise it's not only out of loyalty, but I've got to give it up to Devil May Cry Five because it's just that that series is just so near and dear to me. I worked on that series when I was at Capcom, and I had wanted to work on Five, and I didn't get to. So for the last couple of years, I had just been like sort of holding my breath, hoping to God that it was going to be good, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it even exceeded my hopes. You know, it was just exactly what you would want in a mm-hmm. follow-up. Yeah, we did. We did vote uh, Nico, one of our favorite new characters of 2019. Uh, so. Yes, yeah. I heard, and I was, I, <laughs> I thought. Over V, I thought Nico was the one to pick. So hmm. I also I liked V a lot. Call. Basically, just he's he's basically Oscar Wilde with a cane and, huh. and animal familiars. Yeah, and that you know that's another bit. Like I don't know how much I should be elaborating. Yeah, well, I'll just say that it's hard in the fifth installment of a game like this to really reinvent the combat. Hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. I think one of the criticisms of DMC Four was that Nero seemed an awful lot like Dante and the the new additions they made to Dante just didn't feel that like revolutionary but V really reinvents the combat in that game and I don't I don't think it's for everyone mm. um, like he's actually probably my least favorite of the three to play as but I, th- I just think that a lot of uh, credit is deserved to the team for you know really figuring out a new way for players to to engage with this type of game through a very different combat scheme. John Brandon of Square Roots Podcast, what is your game of the year for 2019? Honestly, I think it is Control. Really? Yeah, because Outer Worlds had a weak ending. Mm-hmm. I felt because I was de- that, right up until the end. I was like, this is it. This is my favorite game. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. It didn't end well, but Control ends so well mm, and i think okay. that's so important for a game's lasting like feeling in your head uh-huh. yeah as we all saw from lost if you don't stick the landing everything kind of goes bad in retrospect <laughs> kind of like the ending to lost no <laughs> no I'm you didn't sorry. i did <laughs> ending to dexter curly's the big hero <laughs> okay yeah that's kind of cool so, kayla what is your personal game of the year fire emblem three houses interesting that game is amazing. That game it's, has hella storylines. <laughs> like, it does. So many storylines. Well, considering like Fallout, uh, like Fire Emblem at the beginning of the decade was like, man, you don't sell a whole lot. You might just like, we might just shelve you completely. To being like, they sold like six or seven million games like within the first how many weeks of this game being out. Like mm. that's a huge book. I feel like it's my one big blind spot of the year that I didn't take time to play this game because i didn't have 300 hours but i've never heard anyone say anything bad about this game 
No, this game is great. Trev, what's your favorite game of the year? Um, so, not to sound like a parrot, but my game of the year is Fire Emblem Three Houses. Oh, you uh, are a parrot. Yeah. <laughs> I would have, I would have bet money. I was just about to be yeah, like, yeah, I bet yeah. like a hundred dollars. It's <laughs> Fire Emblem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it that game was it's so good. And coming off of Fire Emblem um, Fates, which was felt bloated, and all three of those games felt like they just felt off. Fire Emblem Three Houses does yeah, same fate. Fire Emblem Fats felt bloated. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Sorry. But Three Houses did what Fates couldn't do. Like, it's telling these three completely different stories, and they're three branching stories, but each one feels, like, unique to, oh, like, how you want to play. Oh, there's four stories in this game. <laughs> right, well, that, that's the spoiler. One of the, one of the stories story. actually branches. Right, but, yeah. Ugh. Well, the beauty it's, is they, they didn't charge you twice or three times, too. You got them all no, on no, the same game, not. right? Because mm-hmm. was yeah. was it Fates the one that's like you had to buy the DLC yes. campaign? Or yes. You had, yeah. Well, it was, was, for it was yeah, for, for all, like each, like you could buy the, if you bought the, the first game for like 40 bucks, you could buy the second game's campaign for 20. And then I think there was a third campaign for another 20. That was yeah, DLC. Rebirth, Conquest, and Fates. Right. Yeah, it was it was the Pokemon model. Like they mm-hmm. were like, "Oh, why why sell one game when you can sell two? or three? Yeah. Totes. Yes, yeah. Blech. But yeah, but this one no, they're all uh, the same, and it's all sixty dollars for everything. Mm-hmm. Just simplify. Yeah, and three houses is great. To Tuesday every Tuesday, it's it's really it's really great. And the time skip on it is, if you get the game, just get to the time skip because mm-hmm. it just like it it completely changes the game halfway through, and there's still so much more game after that. It's such a really great game. So, yep. So I don't know a lot about this series, and 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 if you'll indulge me, Michael, because it's not on our list, I would, mm-hmm. I would love to to ask a few things about this game for them and why it was on their list. So, one, I heard you don't do the marriage where, where you have the kids. Is that so? The kid thing is completely removed from this year's game, right? And was that something yeah, you so missed? It well, no, not really. Correct. Like, so you still have mm-hmm. the S the S rank stuff, and there's still a lot mm-hmm. of community rank stuff that you you don't really need. That would have been. Like, in other Fire Emblems, like, it didn't feel gimmickly. Like, it felt like kids who were in a school together and then who were in a war together. Like, you see them grow. So Mm -hmm. you didn't really need those kind of, like, companionship stuff. You are almost very much the motherly person, like, or the fatherly person. Like, you are, you are watching your children grow. Mm. And And you can have more children. (laughs) Hey, you know what? I, (laughs) Big Daddy setteth for me. Yeah. Um, and you can also recruit from other houses. Yeah. So it's like I was telling you earlier, Matt. It goes from Hogwarts to Hogwars. Mm, yeah, I see. I see. And then the other yeah. question I had for you guys is: Are you normally turn-based strategy fans? Like, are you like huge Advance Wars fans, where this is kind of scratching that itch, or is Fire Emblem just a whole separate deal? I, I play a lot of strategy RPGs like this, but like I, I, I feel like Advance Wars and Fire Emblem are kind of one of the same, like there's not a lot that are like this, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a guy like we talked about it um, over at P and B. We talked about like I went through and did the easy. I did an easy playthrough with I didn't lose anybody, but then I went okay hard, you know, hard classic. Like I I want that challenge of losing a unit and being completely gone. So this is of course like completely up my wheelhouse. But again, like I said, I didn't have fun with fates. This kind of fixed a lot of stuff with Fates. And getting rid of the weapon tree, like the weapon cycle, was the most ingenious thing to happen in this You mean series. the paper, rock, scissors thing that the Fire Emblem yeah. games have of, like, mm-hmm. the colors, right? Certain colors trump other colors and certain weapon types right. trump other weapon types. Yeah. 
it's not there. Like the only thing you have to worry about is your units, like your unit weakness. Like if you have a Pegasus or um, a Wavering unit, you don't want to be around an Archer. But other than that, like it's it's so good. I, I love the changes that are on there. Mm, that's awesome. And I so, am not a strategy RPG type person. Yeah. I, like I'll play Civ Six sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm really feeling the itch. Other than that, no. But I'm an RPG person, so like it's totally fine. So, so what's it's, scratching the itch there for you with this game? Is it is it the character interactions? Is it the the leveling and progression systems? So it's the character interactions, which are great. Like you have gifts, you have tea parties. It's great. Who doesn't want to have a good tea party? And I do like the combat a lot. I hmm. do like it a lot. And it's also not it's not so like east like eastern based like some yeah. some of those strategy RPGs are like. I can't get into it. Are you saying there's less anime in this anime game? Because now right. you're speaking it's, my it's language. It's extremely anime. No, there's a lot there's of anime, a lot of anime fight, in you... this game, but it's the only anime I will do. <laughs> okay. You, you fight like... you. There's like at some point where you fight like a... Almost like a mech that you have to use. Like, it's like you fight this like weird digital like world. Yeah, there's a, there's a sci-fi element in this game huh. that just comes out of nowhere. And you're just like, what the fuck? Interesting. All right, yep. fine, we'll play it yeah. more. Yeah. <laughs> so now it's time to open the floor to our listeners. What is your personal game of the year for 2019? Let us know. Go to vidjagameapocalypse.com and answer in the comments under episode 348. Alternately, you can visit us at the official Laser Time community on Facebook and answer there, or just hit us up on Twitter at VG Apocalypse, and we'll read the best answers on next week's show, which coincidentally will be the first show of 2020. So that's been our show. We're going to go out with some quick plugs. Patreon.com slash laser time. I want to have Merry Christmas. I'm done. Leave me alone. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Carolyn Pettit, where can people see your stuff? Well, uh, you can hear me most weeks on the podcast Feminist Frequency Radio, where we talk about whatever hot media properties of the day from a uh, fun and engaging feminist perspective. Uh, but to keep up on my writing output, you know, my, uh, which um, is, is pretty steady these days, I do commentary on games and films and, and uh, all sorts of things like that. The best place to keep up with that is just by following me on Twitter at Carolyn Michelle. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Chris Baker, is there anything you'd like to plug? Well, you can always follow me on Twitter at cbake76. You know, I still have my uh, YouTube channel about superhero video games. But actually, my most recent video that I did was a uh, about Star Wars. It was about uh, some the worst Star Wars games ever made, and you've probably never heard of them. They never came out in America. Mm. Uh, superhero.vg if you want to learn more. Including the Famicom one in there where you fight Darth uh, Vader like every other level? People know that one. Yeah. Mm. No, I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking, uh, I will say they were exclusive to Spain. Oh. Oh, yes. okay. That's Most a... people don't know they exist. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to checking it out. Yeah, de las estrellas. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so uh, Operency of the Stolen Suns, the game, check it out. Also on Apple Arcade, Dread Nautical is another game, yes. that done, yes. and that's a lot of fun too. Uh, and I'm working on Castle Storm Two right now, and that'll be out uh, sometime next year. So, cool. uh, yeah, that's pretty much me. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. And Greg, is there anything that you would like to plug? Uh, yeah, I've got a little uh, Tumblr blog called Lacquerware. 
and a little Twitter account called Lacquerware. That's at, at Lacquer Leaks, actually. Lacquer like, Leaks? Leaks for some reason. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> Lacquerware All, was all the latest info on Lacquer. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and I got a Twitch channel that's also Lacquerware. Oh, that's awesome. So uh, cool. look me up. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. John, tell us more about your show. Where can people hear your stuff? It is a game club where you play through a classic RPG a chunk at a time, and you can hear it on the iTunes and uh, the Stitcher and Google Play, or you can go to uh, squareroots.libsyn.com and check it out there. And you can find me at Johnny Barnstorm on Twitter, where I may post some Barra, uh, but it is not nude, I swear. Some Barra? Yeah. Is that like, like, like Yogi Barra? Uh, uh, those who know will know what I'm talking <laughs> All right, about. Okay, enough. good fair. to know. Yeah. All right, thank you for being on the show. No problem, thank you. Travis and Kayla, where can people find your stuff? All right, well, um, I I do a podcast here on the Lazy Time Network called Cheap Podcast with Woo-hoo! one Matthew Allen. That's the uh, bottom line. We talk about wrestling and wrestling adjacent stuff. And by the time you guys listen to this, we'll be planning for the Royal Rumble podcast because time... Is 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 filling us all? Uh, but, <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was a, a flat circle or possibly a circle square. No, Michael, it's a squared circle. Hell, that's, that's TL wrestling for. joke. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, me and Kayla also do podcast over on the PNB Podcast Network, which you can go to patreon.com slash PNB. Uh, we do our flagship show, which is PNB, hosted by Kayla, myself, um, Dylan Tierney. Robert Beach, and we just added a new person, uh, Brendan Lundy, onto our onto our group. So definitely come check that out. Uh, we have Grind Forever. We have Level Select. Um, we have our revamped RPG after Alpha, uh, which will be coming out soon. And I've been writing that story. So uh, yeah, and we also and have then, FM. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say the music show. Yeah. I forgot the name. Yes. So yeah, we have a goal for 2020. Fuck you, get in. Like we're we're going hard and. Either join us or fuck off. <laughs> nice. That's an intention. All right. That's, that's well, that's enticing. <laughs> that's a bold Patreon strategy. <laughs> fuck you. Get in. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for doing the show. And uh, we'll see you guys next year. And a big round of applause also to our guests, Leif Johnson, George Albor, and Steve Guntley and Woody Siskowski. You can read Leif's stuff on Macworld.com. You can hear George's podcast, Experience Points, at experiencepoints.net. And you can hear Steve and Woody on Ultra 64. Check them out at ultra64podcast.com. Or follow them on Twitter at ultra64podcast. Uh, uh, yeah, part of patreon.com slash laser time is cheap podcast where you can get the exclusive patron only preview shows. It was a joy and a pleasure to relaunch that show this year. And thank you guys for all of your support. And uh, if you are a patron for listening to the preview shows, but of course, if you're not a patron yet, go listen to one of our free shows in the free feed, which are our review shows. And if you like what you hear, head on over to patreon.com slash laser time and join at the $5 or more per month level. And you will get access to that as well as bonus time, as well as so much more. We really do appreciate everything you patrons do for us. So thank you for that. Happy holidays, everyone. It's been a great year in games. Thank you for letting us do this show another year. Yeah, happy new year. Let's hope that 2020 is even better from a gaming perspective. I don't well, know. we got we got new consoles coming up. How could it true. not be? That's true. We're That's so excited. Be cool. It's fucking crazy. Oh, There's man. no time to talk about that.
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at VG Apocalypse or me personally at Wikiparas. That's been our games of the year, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next year. I got a, a package today that I do not understand. It appears to be from eBay, and it's a UMD copy of Viva La Bam uh, Season 4 with no explanation whatsoever. <laughs> I did not order it. I have. The, the sender is... I don't know who that is. Merry Christmas, Michael. Merry Christmas. I got that for you. Did you really? No, <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like how you would deliver anthrax to somebody. Just yeah, here, yeah, yeah. So if this will make you feel better about your anthrax death. If if I die in the next couple days, uh, lead the cops to that package. <laughs> that is so They'll be funny. like, oh, I didn't see that season. <laughs>